This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Tuesday morning. Ah, the day after Monday. And we got a great show for you today. Holy cow. Do you sense that uh, as a culture, as a society, are we getting more and more, are we turning into more victims in this world? Everybody's offended by somebody. I felt that to be very hostile. Did you? Like you're attacking me so early in the morning. And I looked at you that funny way. Yeah. We're victims. Everybody's a victim now. Everybody. I mean, like, what are you looking at? What? Get off my back. It's a sad day. Today we'll be talking with Dr. Bradley Campbell about microaggressions and the victimhood culture. He has a theory on why we may be coming so victim-minded. Anytime somebody goes against your cultural, you know, tag— your cultural identity, people then are quick to be hurt, bugged, offended. Wah, wah. But then if you say that, you're being rude. Yes, you're being rude to babies. Knock it off. Don't be rude to babies. Babies have feelings too. So we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Bradley Campbell in just a few minutes. In fact, it's you know it's true. You know it's true, and we always gauge our lives, it seems like, by the politics of the world. But everybody's got some reason to be offended. It doesn't matter who you are anymore. In fact, now Russia's taking on Hillary Clinton. No, China's taking on Hillary Clinton. Did you see that? China is? China's coming out saying she is a rabble rouser. Really? Just like Donald Trump. Them are fighting words. I know. Rebel rouser. A rabble rouser. I don't stand for that. It's such an interesting world we live in because Carly Fiorina gets just beat down at times because she's against um, Planned Parenthood. But, you know, I thought this was the war on women. Depends on your point of view. Depends on what woman you are. Yeah. The t- the, the type of woman, you're, you, what you're running for at the moment. Yeah. It's and then her what her uh, the background on one of her stage appearances fell on her. Oh, did you see that? Yeah, that's scary. Well, she lived. You know, maybe it's a sign. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some microaggression going on there. Maybe the people that built the stage have something against ah the unions. Arena. They there were it unions. Is. It's a union thing. It's a microaggression from the union. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a scary thing. You can't get ahead, and in fact. Luckily, our school districts are on it. Did you hear about this whole Mercer Island school district? They're banning. So, Ben, be careful, dude. They're banning. They're banning tag. You can't play tag anymore, Ben. That's how I got out all my aggression in elementary school. All your microaggressions? Yeah. No, you can't do it anymore. So now these kids are just going to be aggressive in class. Right. Well, I guess it's because you're not supposed to be touching each other. Yeah, I've, I've, I've. When I was in elementary school, that was a discussion. 
Did you? But should you, we allow kids to touch each other on the shoulder like that? Well, but is you, that appropriate? Yeah, trust me. Because in, in class we had the keep your hands, feet, and other objects to yourself rule. That right. was in every class, and know, tag violates that rule. You can't stop kids. But you're not in that. class when you're playing tag. <laughs> when you're playing tag, you're out on the. It's a universal rule for the entire class day. That was the only action I was getting in high school or in elementary school. We, I'd play kissing tag. That was in yeah. kindergarten. Yeah. And you know what was the weirdest thing about kissing tag? I was the slowest kid. Really? I, I felt like when I was playing kissing tag, I'd run half as fast as I normally would. You're trying to get caught yeah. is what you're saying. Our girls were really slow. <laughs> so I had to like really slow it down. Sad. Now someone just took a microaggression against that comment. I know. That's the problem. You can't say anything now. You can't say, but apparently we're now banning at Mercer Island School District in Washington State. We're banning tag, and the parents are like, "What?" We, by the way, we have an obesity crisis, right? Kids are getting they're they're obese because they can't. They'd rather play video games, and now we finally get them running around on the playground. And no, can't. well, we're cutting back on playground, cutting back on PE, cutting back on all sort of physical education in that way. It seems like you should do everything you can to keep these kids playing tag. You think? Run, Billy, run. <laughs> yeah. That's sad. Microaggressions. We'll be studying them today. Microaggressions are those little kind of, you know, disses that happen that we used to just say, oh, that was rude. And we just would move on. But now we turn them into a major I think even, spectacle. even most of the time we didn't even pay attention to them. People said them and you just, okay, and you move on with yeah. life. And now it's like we stop and analyze everything and look to have offense. And now everybody could be a victim. So here's my answer to oh, that. Oh, come on! There you go. You can't all be a victim. One at a time. Let's take our turns. Everybody take a number. Uh, yes, what victim number are you? I'm victim number 17. Ah, oh, you've got 15 ahead of you, sir. <laughs> We're serving for Darn it! What a what a joke! Oh, Kathy's out today, taking care of uh, her family, and uh, in sitting in for with a much deeper, more sultry voice. Sultry, Terry South with the headlines. Good morning, President Barack Obama and Russian President Vladimir Putin agreed to seek out a political resolution in Syria and strike up a dialogue between U.S. and Russian military officials to de-escalate the conflict. But the role of the of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad remains a point of contention, officials said Monday. Both Putin and Obama addressed the U.N. speaking on many subjects, including Syria. Here's President Obama. We must recognize that there cannot be, after so much bloodshed, so much carnage, a return to the pre-war status quo. During their 90-minute meeting after both leaders addressed the U.N., Obama and Putin sat down for their first formal meeting in more than two years. They haven't spoken face-to-face in two years. They've been on the phone a couple times. They're mad. I think I think uh, the U.S. has some Edward Snowden issues and Russia's invading countries. Or not, depending on which side of that. I don't want a microaggression. Yeah, don't start. Don't have start. Have that situation something. with any, any Russian Americans. Earlier in the day, Putin said that there was no alternative to working with the Assad military in the battle against ISIS, while Obama pointed to the Syrian leader as a part of the problem in the four year civil war. Putin told reporters after the meeting that the discussion was very constructive and surprisingly open, but disputes remain between the two countries. So that's where we stand with Russia. Trump announced his tax plan. Trump uh, wants to revamp the U.S. tax code. It'll simplify the tax code. It'll grow the American economy at a level that it hasn't seen for decades. 
It'll be awesome. It'll be the greatest tax plan ever. He went on like that. Hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's a the plan to simplify the tax. Hang on to them hats. Sorry about that. Are we button happy? Yeah. The plan to simplify the tax code also includes a simplification of the IRS paperwork and the section of Trump's tax plan outlined his proposal for low-income Americans to pay zero percent income tax. Trump notes that those who fall into this category would also only have a one-page form to send the IRS, and that form on it, it would just say, "I win." <laughs> I win, loser. I win. There's other details, but uh, it's taxes, so we'll move on. NASA finds liquid on Mars. I know. They found water Diet on Mars. Coke. It's the, well, no, not Diet Coke. Okay, this Diet. is like water. Oh, it's that okay. other thing. It's that other drink. Other drink. Liquid water has never been detected outside of Earth. NASA found evidence that water formed dark streaks on the Martian surface, known as... Uh, as a recurring slope lineage or something, yeah. So they they would they'd see these pictures from satellites. Yeah, you'd see dark lines that seem to right. kind of move during like the rip. warmer. Oh, and then during the uh, the colder times, that the, they would regress, they disappear. Water. And so they started looking, and it's water. It's water running down these hills, and then this is why you need up. the rover. This is why That's you right. need rover, who's all over. So uh, this is the first time they were asked, "Is there life on Mars?" And they said, "Everywhere that we have found life, it is in water." Interesting. So they're, they're talking like microbes and things yeah. of that nature. Even like deep within the earth, they find life this is great. in the microbes. So see what happens there. Yeah. Not necessarily the alien civilization we've been looking for, but... I mean, it's know. the beginning of something. Could be Plus something. Plus it means we could go there and maybe hang out longer. Right. Right. Could maybe. Maybe get some hydration while There's we're there. Some, yeah, we don't need to bring the water with us. On Monday, the Senate easily beat back a filibuster threat from conservative Republicans 77 to 19, setting up a vote later today to approve a stopgap spending measure that will fund the federal government through December 11th, wherein we will go through all of this discussion and fighting again to fund the government as they continue to kick things down the road instead of solving the problem. <laughs> Sorry, there was some commentary there. The 12 finalists for the entry into the National Toy Hall of Fame this year range from the classic puppet to a super soaker to a spinning top. Mm. The other contenders include the Wiffle Ball, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. The Coloring Book, the American Girls Doll, Battleship, Jenga, a scooter, and the game Twister. Man. There's a museum in Rochester, New York. They will take three, three entries this year. Last year it was... Um, Bubbles, the Green Army Men, and the Rubik's Cube. Ooh, yeah. Okay. See, but those are like old, old, old. Yeah. Well, G.I. Joe and Barbie are already yeah. in there, so they, they take I'd, the whole- I'd go with the Super Soaker. The Super Soaker? And what was the other- What were the? What were some other it was, options? It was a Super Soaker, a Spinning Top, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, nah. Twister. Mm, yes, the Twister. Game, the game Battleship. Yes, you Jenga. sung my Battleship. Jenga. Jenga's great. People like Jenga. This is so they've got to decide three. Yeah, they give, how, they give you a whole list. How do they decide it? Just a little vote here. Uh, people nominate their favorite toy for inclusion of the Hall of Fame, and then there's uh, there's a vote. I imagine it's an online situation. Yeah. So it's the uh, Strong Museum in Rochester, New York. I'm going with Twister. Okay, which was you know an, an early dating tool. Yes, and um, Jenga maybe. Maybe, huh? And the Super Soaker. I'd go with the turtles. Would you? Yes. I'm big on the concept of mutated, ninja-trained turtles. Yeah, that's weird. I don't like the word mutated. Why? Because it's mutating. 
There's like an ectoplasmic yeah. mutated mutagen. It's microaggressive. Yeah, it is. They, it is. I mean, yeah. Phil, think about the people that really are. And they're stereotypes. Mutations. They put stereotypes to the turtles that might be offensive. Yeah. Then we're at. Then we're mad. And then all of a sudden, you're just a victim turtle. Yeah. What about the other turtles that haven't mutated? Well, that aren't ninjas or named after like Italian <gasps> painters. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, good job. Good job on the news there, Terry. Your voice is much deeper than than Kathy's, which is, I think. Nice. Let's 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 tell Kathy she needs a deeper voice. Nah. Should we call her? No, no, no. Kathy's Kathy's great. Kathy's great doing what Kathy does. Hey, we got a great topic coming up, folks. Doctor Bradley Campbell will be joining us. He is uh, here. Uh, he's going to be on the phone actually with us, teaching us about this new culture of victimhood. You see it more and more and more and more. You can't say anything anymore without some group of people being offended by it. They're called microaggressions and a victimhood culture. I want to find out, what does it all mean? Where does this end? Can we not just say anything anymore? It might even be leading, I guess, to the politically correct culture we're also having a backlash on when it comes, you know, Donald Trump's so anti political correctness stick with us folks we're going to dive into this figuring out the victimhood culture this is the matt townsend show stick with us Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, joining us on the line is Dr. Bradley Campbell. And, you know, he's addressing a really, I think, important dynamic that's happening in our culture today. Um, The topic is about microaggressions and victimhood culture. Do you out there in listener land, do you sense that people are becoming more and more sensitive to what is being said about them, about their culture, about their ethnicity, about their gender, uh, are they too? Are they overly sensitive about stereotypes? And is it creating a sense of victimhood? Uh, Doctor Bradley Campbell researches the behavior that occurs when conflicts arise, and he's here on the phone with us to uh, talk about a culture shift that he sees around conflict aggression and uh, the expression of victimhood um, in today's society. Dr. Bradley Campbell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you. To me, this is such an interesting uh, research uh, subject you've got. And first of all, okay, so we we talk about microaggressions. I've used the word two or three times. Teach us what is a microaggression and how how does it impact what you're seeing in the research as, as kind of a victimhood culture? Okay, so microaggression is a term that's um, it's been around for a few decades, but it's actually only been used a lot. It's kind of gotten a lot of attention in the last few years, uh, mainly used by um, activists on college campuses and others on the left. And it, they refer micro, a microaggression is is a perceived slight or insult of a marginalized social group. Hmm. And so, lots of different things are given as examples of microaggressions. It could be um, you know, a mother asking her daughter when she goes to college, have you met any nice boys? Um, it, it could be somebody asking um, 
uh, the white mother of a, of, a, of a black child if the child is really hers. Um, these are given as examples of, yeah. of microaggressions that they're kind of, they're slights or, or, or insults. Do they matter yeah. if they're intentional or not, Dr. Campbell? No, no. like in, some of the examples are, they're, you know, they're certainly intentional. They can be insults. A lot of them are things that people are doing unintentionally. I mean, and so even people, people using this term microaggression say that it can be an, an, an unintentional slight, hmm. um, saying, um, you know, you know, saying to a, an Asian person, why are you so quiet? And, and, you know, and this is given as an example of a microaggression. The person may have not thought of it as, as that, but um, yeah. they see it as a, as a slight. It's a stereotype of Asian, that they're too quiet. Um, and, and, other, and, and the other examples. So one of the things about it is a, a wide range of things are given as examples of microaggressions. So you have things that just about everybody would think are offensive or, or maybe just sort of, um, you know, awkward or, or not, not very smart thing to say to people, you know, if yeah. you were more aware. But also there, is a, there was a document put out by the University of California recently as part of a training session for faculty, and it listed about 52 things that could be examples of microaggressions, but it, it ranged from things like, like those things, some of the things I've mentioned, but also um, saying, like, I believe the most qualified person should get the job or America's a land of opportunity. Hmm. Or even things that could be just, you know, that most people think of as just political differences or something. And and so it ends up being, uh, it's yeah, it's sort of um, just about anything that's, that's taken as a, a slight or an offense um, by by these groups. Wow, and isn't but it seems like it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. Yeah. So if if you're wanting to be offended, or if you even if it seems like if you just lack, and this is going to sound like a microaggression, if you yeah. just lack confidence, um, or you know, if you if you feel like you've been harmed in any way, shape, or form. You will always have a microaggression coming your way. Yes, um, and the, the people who support this this term and the, the and the awareness of microaggressions tend not to see that. I mean, they're they're focused more on the idea that people, if you're un, if you're if you're offending people, even if not unintentionally, you should be more aware of it and stop it. Um, and that all makes sense. And the idea is that it is not that each one of these things is that important, but, but overall, over a person's lifetime, constantly experiencing them can harm them greatly. Yeah. And yeah, that's the other side, is that it, it's not as if you can, if, if, you know, if people are more prone to take offense, and, and, and what's a microaggression isn't defined very clearly, and it's up to, you know, the people perceiving it to decide, it means that it, you, it, it would be difficult to actually avoid entirely. You could mm. stop saying one thing and something else then might might be taken as offensive. Well, I mean, I, I sit here just in the media and I think, how on earth can we ever, um, you know, create a prescription that's against all microaggression? You, I mean, you're never going to be able to yeah. say anything. Like, I'm even sitting here thinking... Somebody calling somebody's a, mi- a microaggression is a microaggression. Yes, and and that's you know that's one of the issues too is that um, you know if uh, uh, you know it's sort of yeah I, I saw on one of the microaggression websites that we uh, were, were looking at when we wrote, wrote our paper um, you know some somebody wrote something and someone said this microaggression complaint is itself a microaggression <laughs> so there is sort of this idea that. It, 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 there's a potential that it never ends. Wow. 
Um, but really, what your your research is showing something though the the whole microaggression uh, concept is creating a culture though of victimhood. Yes, we um, we thought of this as a as a cultural change, a kind of of, of new moral code to some extent. There, and we we went back you know kind of a long way looking at uh, things that sociologists and historians have written about about cultural change in the West. And what's been written a lot about is the, the move from a culture of honor to a culture of dignity. So in the antebellum South, for instance, there was an honor culture where men might fight duels mm-hmm. um, if someone slighted some, you know, someone else. And the idea then is that you know, honor is, is your reputation for bravery, and it's important that you maintain this reputation, and that if someone insults you, that you respond, and you respond violently. And as there was a move to a culture of dignity, the idea came, um, uh, came along that, that dignity is some, is, means that each person has an inherent worth. So it actually doesn't matter what your reputation is. Dignity is not honor. It's, it's not something that you can actually lose. Huh. So in a culture of dignity, you're taught to ignore slights and insults, to not be so sensitive, to be thick-skinned, where people in an honor culture very sensitive to insults, at least certain t- kinds of insults, even minor ones. And, and wanting to respond aggressively. So in a, in a culture of dignity, people tell their children, you know, to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because the idea is that it doesn't matter what somebody says about you. Right. And so what, when we started seeing these microaggression complaints, we, you know, since we're familiar with the discussion of that cultural shift, it was striking to us that they didn't really fit in with either culture. It's uh, in, a, in, in a dignity culture, you're told to ignore slights and insults. And this says, you know, um, you know, broadcast them, make a list of them, and so on. And um, but it's also not like honor culture. People in honor cultures are are sensitive and thin-skinned, but they respond violently and they don't portray themselves as victims. They're actually trying to show, you know, through their through their response that they're that they're not. Um, so we saw that there was this this tendency to to focus on minor complaints, but not just about anything. They they are. Um, complaints about oppression uh, and there being a pattern of oppression of, of some kind of minority group. And um, so, what, you know, so we called it a victimhood culture because victimhood itself becomes a kind of status, mm. you know, instead of honor or dignity. And, and people are often kind of buying to portray themselves as the most victimized. Yeah. The, 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 the king of the victim hill. Yeah. So, so there, there ends up being even some kinds of, um, even sometimes people who oppose the culture, I mean, you think of it as extreme among campus leftists, but, you know, people who oppose them may often say, well, we're the real victims. There was an article in, um, by a Princeton student in, uh, in a, a Princeton newspaper saying uh, that, uh, that uh, by uh, Cal Fortgang, and his, you know, he was talking about people who say, check your privilege. And this is kind of, you know, what we thought of is, is if victimhood becomes a kind of status, privilege is is the opposite of that, the way that uh, cowardice would be the opposite of bravery and honor culture. Hmm. Uh, and so people often will you know, tell people to you know, check your privilege, think about what you say of your privilege. And he r- wrote this article, uh, Cal Fortgang, saying that um, you know, his family had been victimized in various ways by the Nazis and others, but it, it's, it's, you can see that in response to that kind of culture, he's saying, you know, that actually you know, he could be considered a victim. So you end up getting, you know, even people who oppose the culture can end up kind of mimicking 
yeah. you know, what they're criticizing <laughs> by, by also claiming victimhood as, as a kind of a, well, I mean, kind of a counter claim of victimhood. It's almost like you, you wonder if that's not what's going on with uh, the rise of Donald Trump and the GOP. There are a lot of people that are saying they're sick and tired of being, you know, blamed for everything. So now all of a sudden yes, it's I, almost like they're taking that same position. I, I saw somebody um, recently talk, talking about our article, and I don't remember who it was, but there was a, a mention of that, and I, I thought that kind of made sense. And that would be that, that Donald Trump is kind of a reaction to it, if, you mm-hmm. know, sort of saying if you're, you know, he's going to go, you know, he's going to go around and, and you know, insult people and and uh, you know say things that are politically incorrect. Yeah. And there's you know certain there's a certain element of people in reaction to some of this other stuff that say, yeah, go ahead. You know, um, you know we don't you know it's you know, don't worry don't worry about victims and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a kind of um, it makes sense as as you know as kind of a reaction to some of this stuff. Mm. You know, it's such a it's such a tangled web. And uh, Bradley, I'm glad you're here because. Somebody has to make it a little clearer for us. Let's take a break. Come back. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Bradley Campbell. He is an associate professor of sociology at California State, uh, at UCLA, basically. And uh, he's uh, at Cal State Los Angeles, is teaching us about microaggressions and victimhood culture. And, man, we may be moving from, you know, an honor culture to a dignity culture and now to a victimhood culture. Is this the way we get on top of the game is by being the biggest victim in the game? You know, maybe it's just a race to the biggest loser. Really? No, that right there, microaggression. Good job, Matt. But, uh, man, it's almost like we flipped the entire identity of what we want to be, and now we're fighting to see who's the worst off. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend. More with Dr. Bradley Campbell and victimhood culture right here after the break. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Bradley Campbell is joining us, Associate Professor of Sociology at California State Los Angeles. He also uh, received his Ph.D. in sociology, um, and his research interests are in theory, criminology, deviance, morality, law, violence, genocide. Today we're talking about microaggressions and the victimhood culture. A microaggression, again, is a slight of one's ethnicities or cultural characteristics. Um, is that is that the proper definition, Dr. Campbell? Yes, they're basically perceived slights or insults of a marginalized social group. Um, I mean, there are different definitions that are, that are, that are given, but that's basically the idea. And you've seen a movement then, um, and your research, I guess, affirms that there's been some movement to people taking more of a stance of being a victim and kind of, I guess, identifying themselves more as um, because of their their poor treatment instead of, I guess, their strength? Is that what's happening? 
Yes, and, and it's not and it's not just the microaggression complaints. There are other things that are kind of similar. We've seen on university campuses calls for trigger warnings um, mm. in classes and on course syllabuses. You know, when um, you know, the idea would be that a topic might um, uh, might up, might be too upsetting if, if it's about uh, you know rape or oppression or something. Um, and you know, this this idea comes from. Um, the idea that someone with trauma may be triggered, mm. um, you know, someone who has, you know, has, uh, you know kind of a severe um, problem, but it's, but it's become um, something that students use for all kinds of things. And, and, you know, one student at Rutgers wrote an article calling for trigger warnings and gave us an example that you, you should give a trigger warning for the great Gatsby saying that there'll be suicide, <laughs> domestic abuse, graphic violence. So again, there's wow. this idea that, that students and, there was an article by um, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt in The Atlantic recently called The Coddling of the American Mind, mm. and they talked about these kinds of things. And again, it, it was just the idea that students are asking to be protected. And what they called, they said there's a kind of protective vindictiveness, uh, or vindictive protectiveness, I think they, they called it, um, where, um, you know, in in protecting people from, from these slights and insults and harms and things that upset them, you end up actually being being vindictive for the people causing it, um, and so there's, there's been a, and then there are also um, calls for safe spaces. So there was uh, an incident last year at Brown University where um, um, Wendy McElroy, who considers uh, herself a, a libertarian feminist, was going to speak, and the feminists on campus were upset about this. She was going to criticize the term rape culture, apparently. And they created this a safe space, which would be a room that people could retreat to if they found it too upsetting. And there would be cookies and coloring books and play wow. in the room. And um, you had one, one student that, that they interviewed who went to the safe space during the lecture said, I was feeling bombarded by a lot of viewpoints that really go against my, uh, my dearly and closely held beliefs. Hmm. So you see this idea that you had, she had to retreat. She felt unsafe um, because of, of views she disagreed with. Wow. So do we see these, all these things as, as kinds of examples of this, where, again, uh, being more uh, quick to, to claim victimhood. Yeah. Well, and then being, it's being sanctioned. I mean, nobody wants to be offensive. I mean, I'm sure there are people. But, I mean, if I, if I could know every nuance of every human being and think of every potentiality of abuse and pain and suffering, every type of kind of... Uh, you know, potential aggression that could have been had against somebody. I, I guess, I would want to to be careful of that. But at what point do we just have to, with dignity, I guess, learn and just recognize that that's just life, and life's just full of things that are counter to what you like. Yes, and, and we're we're mainly interested in, in trying to document to try to understand this phenomenon, the debate around it. Um, but that, that and that's but that's one of the things you could say is is that um, conflict is inevitable, or yeah. it's inevitable that people take offense at things. And one of the things that the dignity culture was supposed to do in saying just ignore those things is that is that you reduce conflict. You you know you teach people not not every time that you feel upset do you need to to react to that. Um, and so we, you know, we, we wanted to understand uh, why this was happening. So that's it. You know, you know are, were people just trying to be more offensive in the past? Right. And, and surely some some people are, as you say. Yeah. Uh, and and that we should 
you know, we shouldn't, uh, in reaction you know, into this, uh, you know, think it's okay to, to. I mean, that's the other thing. In, in dignity culture, you're taught not to offend people deliberately either, right? Don't offend right. people, and also don't don't be quick to take offense. And so you're trying to reduce conflict. But one of the things we, we that struck us was that um, these claims were coming in environments that were actually relatively tolerant environments. Hmm. So, you know, Ivy League campuses and, and other selective universities. And so it, it, these are complaints about um, equality and diversity, the idea that, you know, people are increasing inequality through these fights and things and, and, um, and putting down someone's culture. And so we drew here from, and this is in, in the article I wrote with, with Jason Manning of West Virginia University, and we drew from another sociologist, Donald Black's ideas about conflict, and he says that people are actually more upset about um, inequality when people are relatively equal and more uh, upset about slights against someone's culture when there's a lot of diversity. So it's actually – so we, we saw that it's in these hmm. environments where there's already a lot of equality and diversity the most egalitarian and diverse context where you get these complaints about fights against the culture. It's like a first world problem. Um, right. And you wouldn't, you know, so, so if there were more inequality, if there were, in other words, if there were more what you might think of as macro aggressions, then you know, there wouldn't be the, you know, the complaints here. It's actually interesting yeah. because of, of, um, our success of these kinds of offenses. Yeah. Yeah. Our success. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. If we, you know, we took care of like overt, uh, you know, institutional discrimination, kind of a macro aggression. And now the complaints end up having to get smaller to the micro level, the microaggression level. Isn't that, it's yes. an interesting dynamic. Yeah. So, so we were, um, we were also, you know, interested in, uh, there was a, 19th century sociologist Emile Durkheim, who famously said to imagine a society of saints, and he was writing about conflict and deviant behavior. He said, if you could have a society of saints, there would still be sinners because somebody would be less saintly, and even minor faults would be treated as major. Uh-huh. So when we saw these things, we we thought immediately, could something like this be going on? You know, why why in a modern college campus do people think that it's you know sort of a hotbed of racism (laughs) and it's actually because it's a you know comparatively a less racist environment than other environments now and certainly other environments historically um and and that would apply to other kinds of not just racist uh, offenses but um fights against religious groups and and you know ethnic groups and so on too where where do you see uh, this going bradley does this I mean, what's the next ethic? What's the next culture going to look like? If we've gone from honor to dignity to victimhood, what follows victimhood? It will be interesting to see whether um, whether uh, victimhood continues to spread. And to some extent, we we imagine it will if it's, if it's occurring in environments that are egalitarian and diverse. Those yeah. kinds of settings are, are increasingly common. Um, there, there do seem to be uh, tensions within the, the culture. You mentioned uh, that you know there's an aspect of it where it doesn't end. You can always counter claims of yeah. of uh, microaggression with say, you know saying that's a microaggression too. There, um, so it, it you know it, I don't know how far it can go. There's you know if people um, respond with counter claims of victimhood and so on, 
does it uh, make this culture continue to spread mm. or uh, or you know do finally you know people kind of um, you know retreat from it to, to some extent um, and, and go back to the idea of, of ignoring fights um, or at least some of them um, so um, that'll be interesting to see how far the culture is spread does it spread I mean, we see it at its most extreme among activists at college campuses we've talked about it you know being used in other contexts too where now, there does seem to be generally um, a, uh, a focus on, and it's well-intentioned, obviously, a focus on helping victims, uh, uh, and but it's almost like people do get a, you know, get a lot of status, get a lot of attention from being the victim of something. Oh, yeah. was, even recently, there was the, um, the student in Texas, Ahmed Mohammed, uh, who had you know, That's right. arrested for the clock, and then he was invited to the White House. Yeah, and his... Going to MIT and an right, authentic. Yeah, and he got all kinds, you know, all kinds of offers and attention. And so again, what people saw as, uh, you know, people saw as an offense against him that he had been victimized. But you see, then he's sort of lifted up then, and uh, so it and pays. It pays off. Kind of status from that. Yeah. So, yeah. So so that's even so even outside these contexts on, on college campuses, we do see this the status that comes from from victimhood. And and right now we see we, we expect that to, to continue, and um, you know we don't know uh, how how extreme it will get. Hmm. I mean, it's such a it, it just feels like I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's an illusion. It feels like it's a very positive thing that we are becoming so attuned and so sensitive to the needs of others, because I guess we're now working at the microaggression level. Um, I guess there's eventually going to be like a subatomic aggression level, which is like so small, um, it only offends two people. Right. So, if, if, yeah, if it keeps kept increasing, then you would imagine that, you know, even things that now wouldn't be defined as as microaggression mm-hmm. or offenses then would, would be. And... Um, now, one thing is that the critics of this kind of thing, um, the victimhood culture, um, have argued is that it's not just a matter that you know somebody can be falsely accused of of, of, of harming someone, but that it can cause harm. People say even to the complainants by by you know encouraging them to embrace victimhood. Yeah. Um, so this is one thing that uh, Luke Yarnoff and Haidt in the, the Coddling of the American Mind, the Atlantic article, wrote about. They said you know, that um, that there was you know, the idea that by um, you know, by having people focus on um, these uh, these minor complaints and stuff like that, there's actually harm to the complainants. There um, that these are that cognitive behavioral psychology shows that these sorts of things right. lead to depression and anxiety. Yeah. You know, the idea if you're you know, um, blaming you know, blaming others as the source of your feelings, exaggerating the importance of things, and, and those kind, of, you know, and that sort of thing. Oh, see, that's so, um, that's what I see yeah. as a major issue too, because you also become I call it a depreciative mentality versus appreciative. You you know you know yourself through your weakness or your perceived weakness to others, and you make yourself strong through your perceived weakness to others. It's a it could it could have some problems later on. Yeah, and, and so that's at the individual level, and um, Jason Manning and I have also uh, written that in, in the Chronicle of Higher Education that there are 
it, it can be a danger to academic freedom. The, the, the safe spaces, the call for trigger warnings, and yeah, it's true. And, huh? You know, the, the demand to, to look at microaggression complaints. You know, especially uh, faculty who don't have tenure and, and things, they, they may avoid talking about things. You know, in, in order not to offend anyone. Mm. And you can't have. Uh, it goes against the ideals of of a, of a university campus that you know you can't actually have academic freedom and and you know have the goal of, of pursuing knowledge without offending someone you're always bound to offend someone there you know, there can't be an environment right um, where no one gets offended oh it's i mean really i mean you think about it so the ten the professors have tenure to have freedom to say such a thing except you can't be, you know, you you can't. You've got to have a safe space now, and you're you're going to have to have two rooms for every professor, just ones to teach in and ones to, for everyone to go to once the professors offended them. Yes, and um, it's again, it's it's not that. I mean, I think most people are are certainly willing to make accommodations for oh, people sure. who yeah. have uh, who have uh, problems. It's 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 just an issue of of how far does it go, and and, and to what extent should the you know, should administrators be making policies surrounding it? Um, because again, you know, most people aren't going to want a lot of trouble, so they'll, they'll pick topics and, and and discussions that that are that aren't likely to lead to complaints. You know, so mm. that's a problem that we, you know, when we think about when we think about this, you know, as I said, we're we're mainly trying to explain it sociologically. Yeah, I love that. But as academics who are working in this environment, we do. This is the main problem we see that that threats academic freedom and and just the idea that you know you can there are you know increasingly long list of things that you can't say mm-hmm. um, you know like like in the California in, in the University of California document where it was listed as I mentioned things uh, <laughs> fifty two like things the land of opportunity right. and and you know so it it really it, it looks like people are you know sometimes even making just political disagreements uh, into microaggressions mm-hmm. and, and having and the idea is that you shouldn't say this because it'll offend people. Oh, it's a it's a tangled web, and it seems like the more we do this, the more we're going to the, the web's going to get tighter and tighter around us. Um, interesting stuff, Dr. Bradley Campbell from UCLA. Appreciate you and the the great work you're doing there. Keep up the work. We're, we're going to have to have you back to understand more of your future research on microaggressions and this victimhood culture. Man, it is a crazy. Time, isn't it? And interestingly, how it's connected to the success as a country. So as freedom grows, now, you know, our complaints are going to get more specific. Now everybody has one reason or another to be offended, to be upset, to be to see perceived harm. Man, who'd have thunk it? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back doing a little coach's corner in just a minute. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow. You know, the more successful you get, the more you got to mince the offenses down to smaller and smaller pieces. You know, we have some success in the civil rights movement, and obviously not enough, a la Ferguson and Baltimore. And But there was success. So... 
according to Dr. Bradley Campbell, the more success we have in any of these areas, the more the aggressions are going to go from a macro aggression, a big all-encompassing issue, to smaller and smaller, more finite but real. doesn't mean they're any less real, but more finite problems or complaints or insights, I guess, into what the real problem with racism might be or, or gender equality or LGBT rights. or So if you notice, we're, we're just mincing it all a little smaller, cutting it up just a bit smaller. At some point, when is it just the responsibility of the person to just take it? And that sounds horrible, but to just work within your circle of influence to become the change and not necessarily just only frame yourself as a victim. There is a downside to being a victim, and the downside is you're a victim. You, you, want, to, you want to be an agent of change, not just somebody that is complaining about the change. Well, now I know that sounds like a microaggression that Matt just said there. Matt just was microaggression right there. The problem is somebody's got to say something. We're all – everybody – in fact, I, so I'm an LDS guy. I'm a Mormon. Ah, you know what that means. You're a monster. I'm a monster. And when you think about it, how do you ever – at some point, people are offensive. Well, it's it's like Dr. Campbell was talking about the the event where they had the room – off to the side that was a safe place with yeah. coloring books and people were in there because they heard a viewpoint they didn't agree with. So right. they felt like it was aggressive that it, they were being victimized somehow because there was this other viewpoint. Uh-huh. Instead of embracing the fact that there are other people in the world and other ideas possibly, yeah, you, you consider yourself a victim and go get a coloring book. Not to be microaggressive about people who well, like to. See, yeah. now you can well, you just talk. offended coloring people that love to color. You're a monster. There you go. It's you're not going to win this unless at some point we all can just, you know, get along. Right. We've all just got to get along. I want a song that says get along, get along. Work on that, Ben. Work on that. (laughs) I don't know. At some point we got to we got to thicken the skin a bit. But again, that's microaggressive right there. You're a monster. Yes, I am. I'm a big jerk. Oh, now you hate fat people? Well, could be. Yeah, I I are one. Anyway, we can't... We can never understand everybody's pain and what you will find offensive. So instead, maybe we ought to just get really good. As a culture, as a society, just as a human being, at just recognizing not everybody's out to hurt you. That's all. That's all we can do. And no, we're not all a monster. Ben? You're a monster. You are a monster. But we're not all monsters. Okay, let's take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools for you, helping you find the good in the world, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can today to help you live a healthier, happier life. Live longer, love stronger. We're touching them all today. Uh, In the first hour, we talked about microaggressions, being a victim, how we're all now offended by just the smallest things. Today, uh, in this hour, we are going to be getting into the, the crazy future of your child's classroom. Do you remember those days when your your kid would, you know, break his back, carrying his backpack to school? In fact, most of your kids still have that problem. A 30-pound backpack, a 40-pound backpack full of books, <sighs> papers, all of these things. Well, what about going to a paperless classroom? What a great gift that would be, right? You just get your kid an iPad. Or, for heaven's sakes, this, the, the school district allocates a, an iPad for your child, and that's what they bring home. All of their homework, everything is there. Plus, by the way, just the ability to track your kids. That would be fantastic. Where are you, Timmy? I'm at Stacy's. We're doing homework. Actually, I've been looking at your uh, iPad, and you guys haven't even turned on your iPad yet. What, what are you guys doing? We're just talking, Mom. Stacy's having a really hard day. Yeah, well, a little less talk, and can we get a little more homework done over there? Okay, get off my back. Someday, folks. Someday. It's an important, important thing. Should we someday track our children with their iPads? I say yes. Should the children care? No. I say no. They shouldn't care. Are parents good parents that track their kids with iPads? Would we save their backs from lots of pain? Okay, we need to take that that board away from you what they've done and nobody knew this until you just brought it up ben they handed me the board with all of the sound effects so now i can be anything i want to be i can be just the guy touching the keys a little piano bar just entertaining you having fun whoa 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 yeah that wasn't me See, that's Ben. You know that's Ben because Ben likes... Explosions. He likes explosions. I personally like something that uplifts your spirit. Oh, that's loud. See, the funny thing is I have the buttons, but Ben has the slide bar that turns it on. So who has the power, really? I think Don does. Right. But Don's out of the office. Yeah, we're going (laughs) to get in trouble in just a couple minutes. so when Don's away... The phone rings. Oh, no. The phone will ring we got a great show. Gwyneth Biglio will be joining us in just a few moments to talk to us about the paperless classroom. But um, we also have to talk about, I think, the creepiest thing that happened while the Pope was in town. Mm. This borders on – honestly, this was one of the creepiest things I've heard done. So the Pope addressed the Joint Congress session Senators, congressmen, they're all there. A few Supreme Court justices, you know, our military chiefs or their leaders are all there. They're all there. Everyone's having fun. Life is great. And as he's addressing, you know, there's always applause. And it's always thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, eventually when that faded and he was walking out of the room, one U.S. congressman, Pennsylvania Democrat Bob Brady, the little thief. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> he just snuck up yeah. to the rostrum 
and took the Pope's glass of water. You can hear him right now in this song. He, he got his finger wet and is now going around the crystal of the glass. And he, you can hear it. <laughs> and he took the cup, he stole it, and took it back to his office where he drank the water. Now, the Pope had had three sips from this cup. It's Pope water. It's Pope water. He thought it would bless his family, and so he had his wife drink it, and two of his staffers drank from it. Wouldn't you like to be the guy that just <laughs> chugs it down? Hey, hey, hey. That's Pope water. That was great water. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Congressman. I was thirsty. Do you even not find that creepy? Yes. It's creepy. Immensely. Now he's going to have it identified, fingerprinted, to make sure it's the, the Pope's. I guess we have the Pope's fingerprints. There, there's video of him uh, stealing the glass. The uh, one uh, newspaper uh, called – reporters called uh, whoever – kind of takes care of the facilities yeah. for the capital to the find gen- out how much to how much how much does that glass cost and will he have to pay for it? He says he'll pay for it. That's what he says. He'll said. pay for it. I mean it's it's the Pope's drink. It's the Pope's glass. And he's gonna save the water. Yeah. He's gonna yeah, pour, he, it, into he another, poured it into another another but container. Because it's a it's a it's a holy water and people are like, well no, the Pope didn't bless that water. Well yeah, but it came off the Pope's lips and the Pope is holy. So whatever I mean, that's what's what, weird. Is what it? is the value of Pope backwash? Mm. That's really what the what needs to be he decided here. You don't think so? No. I mean, but, it was just a little sip. There wasn't. I don't know, but I, I mean, I'm, right. and even if you're a believer, you know, if if your if your congressman is Democrat Bob Brady, mm-hmm. it's kind of freaky. A little, little weird. And I'm not going to cast aspersions, but this guy's a little weird. <laughs> He also apparently stole Barack Obama's cup after um, yes, his inaugural a, address. He's a serial thief. He did not drink that one. He just, I guess, tossed the water and kept the cup. You know, again— Is he a cup collector? Is that what this is? I think what he is is he's a kleptomaniac. Okay. I don't want to, again— A cast dispersion. I don't want to cast dispersions, yes. but pretty no, sure he's a kleptomaniac. No name-calling here. And he's, you know, let's just ask. Let's ask the computer. Is he a kleptomaniac? Okay. The computer spoke. That's all you needed to know. Uh, <laughs> that's sad. Sad day. Um, look what, what's happening to us. Our Congress people are stealing things. Oh, uh, true that. Uh, we're going to now go to our headlines. Terry South is sitting in for Kathy Aiken today. Good morning. Russian President Vladimir Putin said his meeting Monday with President Barack Obama included conversation that was very constructive, businesslike, and very frank. We had some points in common. We had some differences, he told Russian state media. He goes, I think there is still a way we can work together on the problems we face. Earlier in the day, at the United Nations, Obama and the French president both called on Syrian President Bashar al-Assad to step aside, a a notion Putin, an ally of Assad, did not agree with. I respect my colleagues, the U.S. president and the French president, but I do not think that they are Syrian citizens, so I don't think they should have a, a... they should be deciding on who should lead Syria. A U.S. official told The Guardian that the Obama-Putin meeting was businesslike, focused, adding this was not a situation where either one of them was seeking to score points in the meeting. I think there was a shared desire to figure out a way in which they can address the situation. A telling point, the meeting lasted 94 minutes. Oh, that had to have been a tense 94 it minutes. Was supp- it was planned to land last 30 minutes. Really? 
So it went a whole. But they offended each other at lunch, and then they, or in those speeches, and then they had I don't to know go. If they sit, offended each other. They no, just said pretty fr- They had frank comments back and forth. Yeah, they weren't really microaggressions. I'll By give the way, you that. Did you hear the music that was playing during their meeting? What was it? It was. You won't believe it. It's actually pretty amazing. You are really? rude to me. They were dueling banjos. Come on, yeah, come on. Poop. That's just what they did. There. So that's interesting. Donald Trump vowing to drastically cut income taxes for more than a million Americans across the wealth spectrum while casting aside loopholes popular on Wall Street. Mm. Some people that are getting unfair deductions are going to be raised, but overall it's going to be a tremendous incentive to grow the economy, and we're going to take in the same or more money. This happened, This uh, the tax plan announced as Trump has been pressed to provide more details about how his administration would actually administrate since a lot of what he talks about is how he's great and awesome <laughs> and we're going to be great and this is wonderful. But it's no real be details. One of the biggest beneficiaries appears to be families that draw the smallest paychecks, individuals that make less than 25000 a year, and $50,000 for married couples would pay no income tax under Trump's plan. Hmm. NASA has found water on Mars. Yay, they'll have water slides, water, have water slides, park. water parks. Mars is not dry, the arid planet we thought. NASA official uh, Jim Green was asked about the possibility of life on the red planet. Everywhere we go where there's liquid water, whether it's deep in the earth or in the arid regions, uh, we find life. This is tremendously exciting. Water's important. You know what? I drink it every day. I played... Was a moon, Sim Moon Base? There was like Sim City, mm-hmm. and then they were, they made like a Sim Earth. Which yeah. was, then there was like a Moon Base type game that I played in uh, high school. It was How part of our do? technology you, class. Yeah. How did you do? Okay, it was the early days of of technology education, and uh, that was the whole point. You had to find ice so you could start your Moon Base. There you go, because then you just heat up the ice, make yourself a little. Then you put up your greenhouse, and yeah, it's Moon Base. It was boring. I went back to SimCity. Uh, they had monsters. Joyce Mitchell, former prison employee who admitted to helping convicted killers David Sweat and Richard Matt escape from a New York City jail, has been sentenced to at least two years in jail and four months, or two years and four months in prison. So the woman that let those guys out and then had a plan to kill her husband, yeah. and then that didn't work. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, so she's going to be in jail for a while. Um, we always talk about political polling this time of year and for the next foreseeable future. Yes. I have, I have better polling. What? Star Wars polling. Oh, boy. Here we go. Force Awakens comes out in December. 63% of fans say that, that's nearly two-thirds of fans say that they think this will be the best Star Wars film ever. Oh, wow. Mainly because the last three were so disappointing. <laughs> hey, this isn't snoring. They think that it'll have better CGI. 25% cited a better story. Really? Twenty-five percent. Another twenty-five percent. The Force Awakens will be more true to the Star Wars series because the last three were brutal. Um, this we're going to choose a president though because of the Star Wars polling. No, I'm just saying this is more interesting polling than political polling. Not really. Star Wars polling. Have you ever seen Jabba the Hutt's bar scene? The survey conducted by Harris Interactive also asked about Star Wars merchandise. Uh-huh. It says sixty-nine percent think that Disney avalanche of Star Wars toys will be out of stock by the time the movie actually comes out in wow. December. They, uh, they'll try to get their hands on the, the, the merchandise. 12% say they'll be willing to lie to other customers. They'll send them to the other side of the store so they can go get the merchandise. <laughs> While another 12% would actually cut in line. Embracing the dark side, 7% would actually trip an elderly person to achieve their goal of getting a coveted Star Wars toy. That's horrible. That's See, more interesting polling data than it, where's Ben Carson in Iowa. No. Yes, it is. I'm more interested in that. Okay. So. Have you seen the bar scene? <laughs> Job of the Hutt's bar scene. Yes. 
many times. That many would say was the GOP debate. Could be. Could be. Everybody's coming out of the woodwork. Everyone's got something to say. Everyone's a different, funny little creature. 7% would triple an elderly person. Are That's you how part far of that go. 7%? If it was a BB-8 you know, remote-controlled robot that oh, they yeah. put out, oh, yeah, absolutely. You're a monster. I'm he'd totally take, a monster. He'd take a, hit, he'd take a hit on a little old lady. Sure, just take her leg out. Just do a little leg sweep. He'll get the prize. That's sad. Look what's happening to our culture, folks. Uh, Dr. Gwyneth Beagley will be joining us in just a minute. She is uh, going to be talking to us about a paperless classroom. Wouldn't it be great if our children didn't have to carry 30 pounds of books to school, if we didn't have to destroy their posture, and we could save trees by going paperless? Technology's there. Let's find out uh, you know, how we can use it. Stick with us, folks, uh, helping you see the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, if you've been on a college campus lately, you'll see a lot of the kids, they're, they're just carrying around their laptops now, right? So they go to their classes, they just have their laptop. Now, do think about it. I just barely went for my son to pick up some of his books because uh, I was on campus here. And um, holy cow, the amount of money we're spending to get a hard, you know, paper-bound copy of a book. What if we could go paperless? What kind of impact would that have? A paperless version of school. Well, we've got the expert here that uh, is actually been doing this on campus, and uh, she is here to teach us all about it. Dr. Gwyneth Beagley joins us. She is a professor of psychology at Alma College in Alma, Michigan, and um, has a Ph.D. in psychology and neuroscience. She's here today to talk to us about her experience with the transformation into a paperless uh, classroom. Dr. Gwyneth Beagley, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Great Thank to you. have you here. Um, so you actually, as a professor, your, your class setting is paperless. Uh, it is. The, this particular class, yes, now, and it's been, this is the third year that it's been paperless. And what are you learning? What are you running into? What are you noticing? Um, first of all, um, the students love it. Uh, this is a class um, between 16 and 20 students, although this year we have a couple more because more people wanted to take it. Um, they are um, learning from the apps. They are learning how to submit uh, decent uh, essays and lab reports on uh, you know, electronic devices. Um, they're generally very attentive. It's, it's been a very good experience. So they're not just playing around on their laptops in the middle of your lectures? Um, I can't say for absolute <laughs> certainty that it never happens. Yes. Yeah, sure. However. <laughs> um, but that's been going on since day one, yeah. right? I, um, I give weekly quizzes, and the, uh, the quizzes are highly dependent upon paying attention in class. So... Huh. They, um, they use the laptops, but um, I don't think during class time they do a whole lot of playing games, although I know they do after class. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I love the idea, really, because it's, we're saving paper, we're saving exactly. resources, but we're also 
we're we're moving everything where the, where the kids are anyway. Everything yeah. they're doing is already on that laptop. That's absolutely true. Um, I actually got a laptop, uh, not a laptop, an iPad, um, before I started this, and I found myself, you know, taking my notes, watching the calendar, reading books, uh, and I'm not a kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was, um, and so I sort of figured, well, why not? That's what they're doing anyway, and it it's worked really well. Do you so. do you see? This, um, I mean, you were part of a test, right? I guess yeah. this was a test. Oh, yeah. and, and what are they? What are they finding out as far as what they're what they're learning from your classroom? Okay, um, we have a little bit of data, um, small sample, but I t- I had certain quizzes and lab reports that I've been keeping records on. I've been teaching for quite a while, mm-hmm. thirty years actually. Um, and I had grades from these early quizzes and lab reports and exams. And then I could compare the, um, the years that I used a iPad with the earlier ones. And um, the quizzes were um, sort of averaged about 10 points higher. Wow. And the, um, the, la- the written, which is, you know, several pages, were, about, were only about five points higher, but they started pretty high anyway. So, yeah. You know. But they, I think being able to study things differently was intriguing to them. And so they actually studied them rather than assumed they, they knew them. So. Well, and they, I guess the neat thing is with an iPad, they can pretty much have that with them everywhere they go. They, ha- they do. In fact, um, I, I didn't realize it, but sometimes if I was demonstrating something in the laboratory, yeah. um, they were actually filming. <laughs> so. Really? Well, they were worried they wouldn't get it all down, and um, oh yeah, they sort of they they were listening, but they kind of put their iPads on um, record or yeah. on film. So, uh, plus, I guess they could also just audio record all of your lectures. Yeah, they've done that, uh, but they could do that with laptops too. There, they actually there are not too expensive electronic devices that mm-hmm. enable you to um, just record from with your computer. Um, that a couple of students tried that, uh, and that's not as successful. Okay. Because um, it, I don't know, maybe the visuals aren't there. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that didn't work as well as the iPad. Well, yeah. Now, now you could really just set it up. Yeah. Record it. Go back. Listen to the lecture again. Does it does it change how you teach, Gwyneth? When when no. when doesn't it at all? <laughs> well, okay. Um, I still. Teach using I use the blackboard yeah. uh, partly because I talk fast and it slows me down. That's smart. Um, I use the I've always had uh, some kind of visuals when I'm talking about parts of the brain. Yeah. Um, back in the olden days, we had overheads uh-huh. and then uh, PowerPoint uh, pictures. I don't like PowerPoint words, but and now actually you can turn the iPad into a projector. Mm. Um, and I need, usually need the IT person to remind me of the steps at the beginning of the And you year, can actually send your slides to the and they can, and you can actually just send them to all the technology in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, yeah that's um, great. That's but it's but it's still the same it's still the same brain. I mean Right. No, right, exactly. <laughs> but in but a weird way it's it, yeah. it seems different though and you tell me is because the that is not on a slide projector at the front of the room and it belongs to you and it goes back in your folder. Right. That is now my brain. It is your that, brain. In my and, computer. 
Um, you're, um, there are apps. There's some wonderful free apps, especially if you're trying to teach science, but of brain models that mm. you can put on your iPad or on your laptop and test yourself, you know, label parts, and um, they, they have invisible, you know, so you can see the inside. And you can sit and study this if you want to, you know, if you want to take a quiz on the parts of the brain, which usually happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so well, see, um, that's interesting, too, because it seems like once you've got them kind of used to receiving information from you, you can send links, you can send mm-hmm. YouTube videos. If you want to learn more about the brain, here's a really great thing I found on YouTube you can go look at. We have, in fact, they usually end up telling me about oh, the wow. YouTube ones. But we have, um, there are web pages put out by different, sometimes it's just a different university, sometimes it's National Science Foundation, but you can send them links or suggestions, they look it up. Um, I have gotten to the point that I uh, encourage them to read original articles, and I send them links to the articles. Yeah. And um, that has pretty much replaced any need for textbooks. Oh, you uh, are a saint. It, it's teaching them um, if, if they're going to they're going to go into a real world where they have to read the original source. And I mean, nobody's going to give you a textbook when you start your first right, job. Right. Right. So, um, and textbooks are just too expensive anyway. So, <laughs> well, what? Oh man! And, and Gwyneth, I mean, you, when you said you're not a young person, but this, let's just be clear: you're you're older than fifty. Yes, yes, sir. And so, <laughs> I mean, but you're you're taking this on, and you're willing to learn it. You'll call the IT guy in. But yeah. you're you're now. I, it seems like to me you're relating to them, the students where they are. And if you can make their learning easier and actually more multi, uh, you know, multi-stylish, like I guess visual, kinesthetic, auditory, there's so many other ways we could learn. And you're now giving them every resource to just get the content right. Right, and I mean, it's the other. The thing is, it goes both ways because yeah. um, you've got a, a 60 plus person working with a bunch of 19, 20 year olds. Oh, I love that. And yeah, there's a lot of things they know. And they are not shy about saying, you know, if you do it this way, Dr. <laughs> Mrs., it'll work better, you know? Yeah. And, or I found this great YouTube video that you should be using. And I encourage this because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the world keeps, keeps you changing. So. Yeah, and it makes you more robust as a teacher yeah. with all of it's, these other – I mean, if your kids are learning it, you could probably even advance the learning, right? Maybe get a I, third I more into it. Um. I teach, this is a physiological psychology class, and if you look in the newspaper, even like the New York Times, they have science sections, health sections, and it's like every week some new discovery is being made. Yeah. And so, and I can say, hey, look, and we, actually our college gets the New York Times free. Mm. Um, And the, I can say, look, they just did this big section on, you know, a different, way of treating diabetes or a different way of treating Alzheimer's. And the students are very, very excited about this. Yeah. And, you know, and they can just, we can just bring it up on the iPad and I can say, okay, this part is a little crazy, but this is good science and, uh, you know, it works. What a power. I mean, I do not remember back in the day though, Gwyneth, when you would have to go stand in library and find that and wait for that one book to come in. And that was the only book that had that information. Right. Right. Now look at this. Or spend... Hundreds of dollars for journals. Uh-huh. Um, exactly. You know, they, uh, 
which now sometimes you still have to pay, but most of the time the the major science, like um, National Science Foundation and things like that, have required um, electronic publishing within two years to, uh, to to make it free. So, yeah. and for teaching, a lot of times you can get deals. So. Oh man. Yeah, it's it's easier and the students are happy. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, yeah, and and it's kind of they can also go learn as much or as little as they want based on mm-hmm. what how how involved they want to get. We're, yes. sp- we're speaking with Dr. Gwyneth Beagley um from Alma. What mm-hmm. what was is it Alma? Uh, yeah, you're pronouncing yeah. it right. Yeah, Alma mm-hmm. College in Alma, Michigan. We're going to take a break, Gwyneth. Come right okay. back. I, w- I want to come back and find out if there's a downside to any of this. Do I'll you, tell do, you. What. Yeah, okay. I bet there is. Stick with this. Uh, learning from a wonderful professor, Dr. Gwyneth Beagley, about the paperless classroom. And holy cow, just access to all the information on your subject in the palm of your hands. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is uh, Professor Gwyneth Beagley. Uh, she's a professor of psychology at Alma College in Alma, Michigan, and uh, has a PhD in psychology neuro- and neuroscience. She has gone paperless with one of her classrooms. Everything in the classroom, paperless now. Uh, she still uses a chalkboard, but uh, I love the reason why. It's to slow her down so she doesn't go so fast. You know, when you got to write it on the board, it ends up uh, taking a little more time. You have to slow it down a bit. Uh, Dr. Gwyneth Beagley, thank you for being with us today. Okay, thank you. This and, is fun. And thank you for, like, getting on the cutting edge, for heaven's sakes. Your students must love it. Uh, is, there a, is there a downside to any of this uh, paperless we, classroom? Were, the, the biggest downside was um, somehow getting all communications out to the students not in the classroom, but like extra classroom stuff that yeah. I wanted to. Um, we're dependent on an email system. And sometimes a student uh, has problems with their device and can't get the email. Uh, we tried a, an app called Dropbox, yeah. which um, was actually, it's a very good app, but um, we, I, we made it accessible to everybody. And oh. some of the students said, um, you know, everybody can see everybody else's work, and we're right. not totally comfortable with no that. No privacy <laughs> there. Yeah. So um, the, our college does have um, – some people might be, be familiar with Black, Blackboard. We have a cheaper version of that, which is Moodle, which the students have taught me how to use, um, so that I can put uh, something that – I want everybody to see on Moodle, and they all yeah. have access to that. So that was the first hurdle, is how to get it, it to it. The second one was actually kind of, um, I was very nervous, but it worked out all right. The students signed out the iPads for the term, and um, then they were responsible to return them to me. Huh. And I was just slightly anxious um, as to whether everybody would return them. Yeah. Um, and so far they have. We had one student who had to leave college for personal reasons, and I was terrified. Yeah, that, they've gone, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> they're gone, and they <laughs> took the iPad with them. But bless her heart, she did return it. And, oh, that's great. Uh, so that, the idea of it, um, so this, we switched it over so that IT, the, the um, technology department, is in charge of handing out the iPads that are being used for the term. Yeah, that shouldn't um, be a faculty's No, it was, it was something. It, it turned out fine, but it did increase my stress. Um, <laughs> and now also the students can use I – mean, about uh, half of them have their own devices. Yeah. And then those that can't um, can sign it out for the term. So. Well, do you remember in back in high school when you had to bring your 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 books back and check your books in, and, um, and the teacher yeah. would go through the books and be thinking, "Oh, yeah, you really you really ruined this book." Yeah, and then you get then your fines and get a bill. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's almost it's to me it's so powerful because eventually the majority of these students have their own technology. Mm-hmm. I would say eventually, right? I yeah. mean. Then Many it just... of them, after the first year, went home and told their parents they wanted that for Christmas. So really, <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. I bet iPad sales are going through the roof on Alma, yeah. at Alma College. It's it, yeah. I hope so because yeah. I like the idea um, of. I would like it if every every student had an iPad mm-hmm. um, or or a tablet. I'm, this is not. Ex- I'm not trying to. Yeah, you um, could be any device. Stock in one particular company, but um, you can do this on just about any tablet or. Um, laptop so it do it, do they do you do you have like a website for the class um, um do you have a I place where not. they can always go i was thinking like a blog where they could get the syllabus you could anything you say you're going to add or post you just post it but i guess you're doing that on moodle I can do that on moodle um i never got into doing a blog um again remember <laughs> which generation i'm from yeah um alma is small and um, the students know where to find me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't get away. <laughs> I have my door closed right now. Right. So, but um, they have no my, – my office is in the same place near the classroom, and all the labs are all near the same place. So okay. uh, if they want to know something, um, they just find me. Or email me, but generally that you just open the door and there's about eight of them wanting something. So, what are the other faculty members saying there at Alma? Do they are, are they interested? Do they want to get in on this? The um, a, a, a teacher in the music department used the iPads the sa- during this, this first year the same as I did, and he actually had more challenges um, because of the type of sure. programs he was using. Right. They were, and I'm um, not able to tell you anything about music, but they, other people are um, trying it. Um, some are concerned uh, that there may be too much game playing, but we haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the students here are uh, they're very eager to learn things. It's a small college. Most of them are here. And they're here to get a good education, and, and they're aware of the financial sacrifices their families are making. Um, so they they're very very motivated to you know. So there's not excessive game right. playing or anything. Well, did they think that no one was playing games before technology? Um, if they were, they were very silly, weren't they? Yeah, they were playing um, <laughs> with spitballs. Do you remember those days? I can remember. <laughs> Sitting in in class and playing either tic tac toe yeah. or the, where you add a block to the line, uh-huh. or, you know, right. during the teacher's lecture. Yeah, um, or yeah, so. and just doodling. So, 
the yeah. the other thing I like too is you you hold them accountable because you still are going to lecture and then mm-hmm. you quiz them based on what's happening in class. So right. you can still right. test if they're engaged. Oh yes, and I, this is a, this is a fun class. I mean, even before we did iPads, this is a great class. So um, I really haven't had trouble with them not paying attention in this. Oh class. yeah. Well, I think honestly, because one of the research findings that. Microsoft came out with just a while ago, I think is that the I think the average uh, attention span for a person with all this technology now is like I think it's eight seconds. Yeah, which is which is tragic because I think like a goldfish has a nine second attention span. Yeah, no, and it's not always that bad. I mean, I'm watching um, my grandchildren develop, and they're at the age where they're just starting school and. but their attention spans are longer than that. But you, you uh, yeah. But you, you can now, you know, in the lull of instead of just lecturing, 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 you can lecture five minutes or whatever, and then throw up a throw a video oh, yeah. up there and let them watch the video, or throw up a new slide or a cartoon. Yeah, we're more um, in the physio class. We're more up to say, okay, let's let's find the the amygdala. There you go. Brain. Yeah. Um, a lot of my colleagues are doing a lot of technology in class, whether uh, they're. Things like I was impressed with one of my colleagues who found a video that explained how muscles work, hmm. okay? Trying to explain it in words is difficult. Yeah, right. And she found this lovely, um, accurate uh, video that explained how the muscle fibers slid against one another, et cetera. Yeah. So I guess um, that, that you added a word there that's probably essential, accurate. So, yes. <laughs> so you're probably the sensor, aren't you, where you have to kind of go, oh, yeah. uh, that's only partially true. Yeah. That's one of the things we're trying to teach them. Okay? Right. That's right. In a, we're in a world where um, if, you know, if your finger hurts, you can go online and get right. seven reasons. That's right. And I'm trying to teach them how to evaluate what's real and what's uh, nonsense. Oh, yeah. A little blunt. Um, and having it right in front of them. Um, it's really good, you know. Well, that's real. Uh, I mean, that's the skill they need, right? Is yes, learning right now, to learn and assess yeah. their learning. And yeah, that right now, um, because they're going to go into a world where tons and tons of information is, is out there, and they have to learn how to uh, sort through and say, okay, how do I know this is real, and how do I know this is just somebody's theory that isn't real? You yeah. Know? Well, and we, we, according to your data, too, it's driven quizzes up 10% higher, 10 points higher, and written tests uh, up about five points higher. Right. But quizzes are – so that's their attentiveness in the class. Yes. um, They can look it up, too. I mean, everything I say, they can back up um, by either uh, written material I've emailed to them or apps that – I've suggested they mm. download. So you know what? You're really though giving them every opportunity to learn. It's not anymore about sitting in a class and checking off a box. It's now no. learning. There's yeah. 20 different ways they can get to it. What would you suggest as we wrap this up? What would you say to other teachers? To teachers at uh, maybe the high school level, the elementary level, about uh, paperless and technology. I think try to introduce it. It's first of all the you know the planet will be better. <laughs> yes, but also um, it, it's a reality. The kids are playing games at home. I mean, five-year-olds know how to use iPads. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that works is you put 
they have access to something they want to read or a game they want to play, there's tons of educational stuff out there. And you can kind of introduce them to it um, yeah. at a very early age. And it's happening anyway. Yeah. So the teachers have a chance to channel it so they can see it's not just, you know, shooting rocket ships, but it, you can learn letters and numbers and reading and everything else. And it's, it's available and it's available cheaply yeah. and some of it's free. Yeah, there's a lot of free information out yeah. there. You know, you just brought up one more thought I've got to ask you. Does it do you sense the dialogue in the class? One of the things I always worry about with the technology is they're getting all of this information, but the dialogue might suffer. Their communication about it no, might not be. The, where do, what do you see there? They, are they fine? In fact, their, their questions are better. Are they? They're more sophisticated. It's not just how do you spell acetylcholine. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. What happens when we do this? That's great. I mean, they're, they're, they've got the basics better. So the questions they ask are wonderful because it shows their thinking. Yeah. So Beautiful. Um, well, yeah. Dr. Gwyneth Beagley, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at okay. Alma College in Alma, Michigan. and thank you very much you for letting me uh, – Talk. Well, thank you. And okay. really, truly, saving not only the, 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 the earth, right, the environment, but holy cow, deepening the knowledge, the learning of our children and our, our students. Powerful stuff, folks. You know, it's, it's just it's, this should be going on everywhere, right? Professors, come on. I know they are. On every campus they are. It's just she wrote an article about it, and her spirit, you can tell, is so positive. In fact, right now, right there. So far, she's my hero of the day. Hero of the day, Gwyneth Beagley. Well, I'm sure we'll have another one by the end of the show. Stick with us, folks. Trying to help you see the good in the world. There is hope with all this technology. How about just deepening learning? We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, the ability to use technology with your classroom. Like, duh, no-brainer. How cool is that? You can put all your information. I would love to, uh, you know, get an Evernote account or a Dropbox account, have everything I want in that account. Then when a student asks me, oh, yeah, I didn't get that thing, boom, there it is. Shoink, just go right here. It's right there. It's right there every time. I'm telling you, it could create some pretty, pretty cool stuff uh, as far as learning abilities. And then all of a sudden you start aggregating your favorite YouTube videos, your favorite um, even commercials or anything that comes up in the news. Man, it is the day of information and it's not going away. In fact, technology uh, – in fact, we got a, my favorite yes, song on it. Yes, I love technology. That was Ben, by the way, singing Yes, I Love Technology, uh, his favorite song from Napoleon Dynamite. Sing it again for me, Ben. Yes, I love technology. I like how you jump right in, Ben, on that. Nobody loves technology more than Ben Wasden. Now, did you hear about this lady? An Australian woman decided to uh, – she wanted a new iPhone. So she – but, you know, when they release a new iPhone, you got to wait in line forever. She did not want to wait in line, so she just dispatched a robot. I am a robot. 
Okay, that sounded like you, Ben, just talking real slow. That wasn't a robot. It, it was a robot. So she sent the robot to go wait in line. The robot went down to the iPhone store, the Apple store, and she could operate the robot, which was basically an iPad attached to a Segway-style scooter via remote control from her home. She put the thing on a bus. No, I don't know how it got down there, but it got down there, and it waited in line for her, and she could talk to people, probably FaceTiming people, from her iPad using a remote control. Eventually, she waited in line. She got up to the counter. She bought the phones she wanted. They put them in a bag, and they hung. <laughs> yeah, right, robot? That robot just got mad. They hung the phones, the brand new phones on her microphone, and off she went. Taking her Segway robot home. Actually dropped off the phones to some friends who then brought the phones back to her. Pretty cool. We don't even need to go down to the Apple store anymore. We can just send our, our robots. And that professor having a classroom full of, uh, you know, 20-somethings who are really advanced in technology, to go pull up an overhead and a projector and hit that big bright light and start projecting something, you would instantly lose everybody. I mean, I got nothing but technology between Ben and I right now, and I've already lost him. He gives me that glazed-over look. <sighs> when are you going to be done? Ben, would you, have, do you have any classes here at BYU, Ben, that are all paperless? Yes, I do. Which one? Let's talk about it. My biology class. Okay, use your words, Ben. And what do they what do they do? What's it like? Videos? Lots of slideshows? Yeah, so he just gives us a bunch of videos to watch and, and we watch them. Do you yeah. talk about them? Do you turn in papers? Um okay, yeah, we do turn in papers. So I yeah. guess there's some paper aspect to it. Yes, you actually have to print something still, huh? Um Yeah, I that's really hard for me. I don't know how to do that. So I usually just take a picture of the screen and mm. give my phone to the teacher. Wow. That explains a lot, though, Ben. I mean, no, don't you think? I mean, not, not, I don't want to – I'm not putting you down, but it does explain why you're not doing so well in school. Well, I think the problem is I – like there's a student development class that I didn't take my freshman year. Uh -huh. And I think they went over all of that that semester, right. so I think I'm suffering because of that. So so you, instead of turning the paper in, you type the paper out on your phone, and then you just show her your phone? No, I take a picture of my laptop screen, and then I give my phone to my teacher. So I'm without a phone for like three solid days. Okay. Wow. Um, hmm. Does your teacher know about this? He has my phone. Um. Yeah, so apparently he does. So I was going to say, why don't you call him? But then I'm thinking he's got your phone. Wow, Ben. So, folks, this is what we're up to. This is your future. Ben, technology. <sighs> Doesn't look so rosy, does it? No offense, Ben. It's a double-edged sword. Yes, it is. Well, um... I don't even know what to say. I'm like, I just feel so bad for you and your family and your friends and your roommates and neighbors. Okay, well, if anybody sees Ben walking around campus, please bring him back. 
technology, folks, it's not going away. And we're also afraid of it. But don't you love a 60-plus-year-old professor that's like, let's do this thing? And then she lets her students come in and teach. And some students should help a guy like Ben figure out what's really going on here. Crazy stuff. We're going to take a break. Next hour, we are getting into it, folks. Next hour, we're going to be talking about health again. And uh, who better to do that than Dr. Ron Hager, who will be joining us. But more importantly than that, I'm going to introduce before he comes in, just because I – I love the contrast. I love the irony. A $50 sandwich that's 10 inches in diameter, two and a half pounds of meat. It's going to kill Dr. Ron Hager. He's going to hate me for that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can in this program to give you the tools you need to get a leg up in life. Life isn't easy. So, so far on the show, I think we've touched them all. Victimhood, the increasing cry of the uh, microaggressions and the victimhood. We talked about that in hour number one. Hour number two, we got into the paperless classroom, which is way cool. We're trying to do a paperless show. But uh, all we've got are papers. But I just keep printing things. I know. I don't know what it is. Actually, I need it because that's the only way I can remember things. And today, uh, this hour, we'll be speaking and talking about plant-based diet. Are you? Do you eat a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables? Yes, right along with all my meat products. Yes. You love Absolutely. the meat products. By the way, today, September 29th, World Heart Day. World Heart Day. This is the day that we... Spread awareness about heart disease and stroke prevention. Red meat, good for your heart. Red meat, bad for your heart. Oh, I keep getting that mixed up. Bat, let, Whoa. I think someone's trying to get in. Is that what that is? Do you hear someone? Oh, no, no, no. It's it's Ben's heart. He's got his mic up to his chest. Knock oh, it off. Oh, my heavens. It's too that loud. so weird. I didn't know that he had a heart. Whoa. That is weird. It's like we're inside his heart. Yeah, it's creepy. It's almost like we stole a cup from the Pope. But not that creepy. It's it's pretty creepy. I, okay, I want to get out of his heart. That was weird. Wow. It was right. You notice that during the break that we were talking about his girlfriend. Yeah. Kaylee. Uh-huh. Uh, and That's his, not going to go over well, by the way. His heart went pitter-patter. Yeah. It, it made palpitated there. Speaking of the heart and World Heart Day, did you hear about this? Uh, the, New York, the New York Jets have a new $50 supersized breakfast bagel sandwich. That they serve at the stadium, Meadowlands. Right by the way, right next to a hospital. Needs to be. It's a fifty-dollar breakfast sandwich that's ten inches in diameter. It has four eggs on it, two and a half pounds of meat, potato hash, and more. So it's as big as like a medium pizza in, oh. in circumference. And then you have what? What was on there again? Four uh, eggs. Four eggs. Two and a half pounds of meat, Ugh. potato hash, and more. It's just a lot of food. Does it give a calorie count? Uh, it doesn't. Why would they do that? Just ruin it more? Because it's probably your daily intake. I mean, you know they always do the hot dogs. They, they actually have Polish sausage hot dogs that are 28 inches long there. Yeah. 
man alive. You know, that's why we're dying so young. That's why we need a heart day, a world heart day. Just to remind us that we're I'll bet you there's people that eat that $50 sandwich themselves. They just – they all have one of them $50 sandwiches. Well, wouldn't you eat that by yourself? Would you share that? Uh, You know what? We – this Saturday we went – there's a really great deli in downtown Salt Lake City and we went and bought sandwiches for the family. Okay. That lasted a day. (laughs) It was – they were expensive but the sandwich lasted a day. Yeah. The kids weren't even hungry the rest of the day. We had lunch, but there was a lot of leftovers, and the kids didn't. See, I kind of feel guilt. It's kind of a guilty feeling within myself when I eat something at lunch, and then I'm not hungry for dinner because I like dinner. I love dinner. And so there's dinner food that I really am looking forward to eating, and sometimes I'll just eat it even though I'm obviously not hungry. Yeah. I just I enjoy the, well, the food. We're going to have to ask Ron Hager about this because I think if He's, you've had such a big lunch yeah. that you don't want dinner even though you love dinner, it's probably a sign there's something wrong. See, and I don't think that that would be beneficial to me because I'll still eat dinner. Yeah. You would I, eat. I know, f- I know it's probably wrong, but I enjoy dinner that much. Well, we need to be healthier. Okay. That's the I'll point. I'll give you that. Probably not the, uh, a big sandwich. I wouldn't buy anything in a eggs. New York Jets game if you really are going for health. I mean, maybe they have. They might have. Maybe they have options. edamame. They Who could. Knows? They could. They could. Might have a big, like, four-pound egg on top. But. Maybe they could have a little, like, let, you know, like, um, like celery sticks with that you could dip in. Just cholesterol. Uh, yeah. What would you dip it in? <laughs> you could dip it in dirt. Just cheese. No, but that's no. No. Celery and cheese? Yeah, like no. You're nacho the, cheese? You're missing the point. What? See, Ron's here to help us to gravy? stay disease-free. Would you dip free. your celery in, in gravy? Oh, I love gravy celery. That would be good. <laughs> I think you're defeating the point. I know. Ron's going to have to sort this But out. I could make the menu for a uh, football game. Right. Yeah, but you'll die. Because I don't really think people go to a football game thinking about eating healthy. You're out there. It's an event. You just paid a just extreme amount of money. Why not buy something crazy? Yeah. Like a $50 breakfast sandwich that's the size of a 10-inch See, that's, pizza. That's the problem. Yeah. And we thought, you know, we thought nuclear warheads were dangerous. They are. No. Go to a Jets game. <laughs> Just as bad. <laughs> Just as bad. And by the way, the same the same kick as a nuclear weapon. Really? Yeah, that's what I hear. Okay. It, it depends if you put jalapenos on it. Right. Anyway, uh, that's the update. Watch out if you're a Jets fan. Oof. Every stadium has. Well, one. watch out if you're a Jets fan in general. They're not very good. They're but, struggling, but you know what? They've got great. They've got great potential. As, as does everyone. The first three weeks of a season. You're a downer. Yeah. Let's go to the headlines to see, find out what Terry's got for us. Good morning. The president of Planned Parenthood, Cecile Richards, is in front of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee at this hour answering questions about their federal funding. This is motivated by the undercover videos from the anti-abortion organization that were released a few months ago. Richards calls the videos heavily edited, deceptive, and categorically, categorically untrue. Planned Parenthood is an issue for the debate over the funding of our government and could lead to a future shutdown of the government. On Monday, the Senate easily backed a filibuster th- or they, they beat back a filibuster threat from conservative Republicans 77 to 19, setting up a vote later today to approve a stopgap spending measure that will fund the federal government until December 11th. Well, they'll have to go through all this again as they decide mm. whether to fund the government. And we'll hear more about Planned Parenthood at that time because it'll still be a campaign issue. Yeah. Always will be. So they're having discussions and talks and hearings, but they'll solve nothing and <laughs> get some people to get some nice video for 
whatever purposes. For campaign they, purposes. I, I'm convinced the Democrats, Republicans, they do these things for campaign videos. Yeah. Look, I'm tough on whatever issue it is. Uh, I'm convinced. You're a monster. Yes. That you hate campaigns. I do. They're, oh, well. they're so fake. The way you should. That's the way you should be. <laughs> Donald Trump vowing to drastically cut income taxes for millions of Americans across the wealth spectrum while casting aside loopholes for popular that are popular on Wall Street. The highly anticipated tax plan comes as Trump is being pressed to provide more details about how his administration would govern. I think this is a common sense, well thought out tax proposal that's going to trigger the economy, going to make everybody go back and really want to work. It's going to create tremendous numbers of jobs. So the, his tax plan will make us want to work. Possibly wow. more. It's almost like anti-human. Humans don't, I mean, I guess because I'll make more money. That's why I want to work. Possibly. I'm trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out. One of the biggest beneficiaries appears to be families that draw the smallest paychecks, individuals that make less than 25000 a year, and families or married couples that make 50000 or less than 50000 a year would pay no income tax under Trump's plan. Well, wasn't this whole thing to move the middle class? Yes. But so the whole tax is, is going to, it's for the poor and the rich. The rich are going to get a better benefit, even he, though he'll have to pay a little more. Yeah. But shouldn't the shouldn't there have been a major cut for the middle class? You would think. What do I know? You would think. And the, his plan mirrors Jeb Bush's plan. Okay. There's, it's slightly better on some of the tax cuts and some of the uh, Man, they've all got the a plan, which there. means we are going to get a new tax law. Possibly. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. This is great. Wow. They, they always mess with something when they take office because it's now their house. They're going to you know, right. remodel. NASA's discovered signs of liquid on Mars and announced at a press conference Monday morning. <laughs> Mars is not the dry, arid planet we thought, says NASA official Jim Green. Liquid water has never been detected outside of Earth. NASA found evidence that water formed dark streaks on the Martian surface known as the reoccurring slope lane. Okay, how, how are we scientists. sure – again, I'm not this kind of doctor. Yes. But how are we sure the it's water liquid? Well, you can look at the pictures and see it. Well, I know, but maybe it's, maybe it's million, ammonia liquid. We're millions of miles away. Maybe it's mercury liquid. Yeah. I don't know. It's science. Maybe there's just, you know. They're, they're saying there's water. Now, the, is it drinkable? I don't know. One of the guys said, he goes, what, what do you want to do now that you've discovered this? He goes, I'd like to drink the water. Beach. We need a beach. On Mars. There's not that much water. They're saying it's about 300 Olympic swimming pools. Do they have Olympics there? No, but they're saying it's that much water. <laughs> okay. So like it's They're not, building Olympic it's pools on Mars? It's not vast oceans, but there is signs of okay. water, which means could, there now, could think be Think about that. That's a big microbial life. That's yeah. big. There's life on them there, Mars. But what if there was like a whole race of like sentient shrimp? Mm. We could communicate with them. We Ooh, could talk to them. Fry them up. We could. Mm. We have some shrimp that we could go and just, I don't know. Would you eat a sentient shrimp? It depends. What what kind of cocktail sauce are we talking about? (laughs) As long as I don't have to talk to him. (laughs) I don't feel anything if I don't have to talk to him. Just so it's processed in a plastic container at the grocery store, I'm fine. (laughs) That's so sad. But think about Mars shrimp. Just a thought. Just tossing that out there. Sounds really good. Have you had a Mars bar? Yes. Very good. Yeah, they make good candy bars on they Mars. They totally do. Um, Donald Trump's campaign bus that he used in Iowa is up for sale for $15,000 on Craigslist. So if you need a commuter vehicle. I'm good. You don't need a bus to no. drive you in? Uh, emblazoned in blue and plastered with the slogan, Trump, make America great again. 
The classy ride isn't actually owned by Team Trump, but instead by Steve Drake, a self-professed Trump supporter who rents out party buses in Des Moines, Iowa. So then my question is, what are you doing in a party bus in Des Moines, Iowa? You party. All over Des Moines. All over Iowa. So the, the Des Moines Register reports Drake was approached by a Trump staffer, asked to rent out the bus to, uh, to the campaign while the team trekked around Iowa. Since then, Trump's plans in Iowa have changed. So now Drake is stuck with a Trump-branded bus. <laughs> the uh, Let's see. The bus has one million miles on it. It has, It's equipped with a bathroom, generator, TV, and satellite hookup. So uh, the transmission's even been upgraded to an automatic. So anyone can drive it. That's a steal. Fifteen grand. Yeah. Plus, you get the Trump, the Trump insignia and logos, and and his massive face, I think, on the side of the bus. Ah, oh, that'll draw a lot. And that hair, whatever that's doing. I, so you're not buying it? No, no, fifteen thousand for a bus on Craigslist. Not really something not I'm looking forward to doing. But you know, no. nice option. I if am you need going it. to get a car, but it won't be the Trump bus. I'm not doing it. Well, cool. That's good news. Uh, maybe we'll, I don't know, we'll ask Ron Hager, our next guest. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. Uh, he's an associate professor of exercise services in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. We're also going to be calling in his uh, good friend, Dr. Rob Adams. And uh, we're going to be talking about your diet and how to how to introduce a more plant-based diet. Lots, uh, lots of, you know, lots of opportunity there, I think, in all of our diets to eat healthier. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be getting healthier in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us now in studio, Dr. Ron Hager, who is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. One of his interests um, and specialties is chronic disease prevention, and I, I gave him the chance to order one of these New York Jets supersized breakfast bagel sandwiches. I'm going to have it for breakfast. Uh, I'm going to have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, <laughs> and for like a week, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. It's it's. Um, I found out later. It's also topped with not one but three patties, half a pound of Taylor ham, <laughs> one pound of chorizo patty, and an equally large breakfast sausage. You know, it's probably for tailgaters, and it's it's yeah. the whole thing. It's what they all eat. It's they, they make it for everybody. Exactly. <laughs> it's apparently called jet fuel. That's a good name. If you add a, a spicy green chimichurri sauce, you now officially have jet sauce. Yeah. That's... How long do you think someone would live with that whole patty, that whole it, bagel sandwich in their body? If they ate the whole thing? Yeah, they'd die, don't you think? Well, it, uh, well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, if you look at it in terms of a food storage kind of a <laughs> thing where— It's like a two-year supply in their gut. Right, exactly. So they could actually live a long time. We don't we don't make vegetables as attractive to eat for some reason isn't as it, a hamburger like that. Or isn't that interesting? You Why know, is that? I mean, when was the last time you saw some really fancy advertising? Yeah, no. for, for cauliflower. Never. No. Uh-uh. You know, but it's, you know, it's sad because the, we need to eat more plant based diets, and that's part of the problem, Matt. You you look at like the food industry and their advertising budget. I mean it. The the healthy food options pale in comparison. I mean, oh, yeah. we're, we're talking about millions of dollars annually versus billions of dollars annually. 
And the only reason they spend that much money on marketing is because it works. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it is altering behaviors. It is changing purchases. It is affecting uh, health. Really. So, so Ron's here today. We also have on the phone Dr. Rob Adams, who is a family practitioner in uh, Demet, Texas, and he's he's on the front lines. And uh, he and Ron have been talking a lot about um, functional medicine, functional foods. Today, uh, they're here to talk to us about eating healthier, plant-based uh, diets. Again, Dr. Rob Adams, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I appreciate it. Everything okay down in Texas? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been pretty pretty decent weather. It's turning a little bit. It's starting to get cool in the yeah. evenings and mornings. It's uh, it's been nice down here. So one of the things you talk to us a lot about is so you'll have all of these clients come in. They're struggling with a lot of different health issues, diabetes, other issues. When when you put them on a diet, or you say, okay, let's work on your diet. Well, what's the average response from your average client when you're telling them you're going to put them on a diet? Well, I think one important concept uh, to realize is that we're all on a diet whether we like it or not. It's like, true, huh? It's not a new thing. Yeah, this, well, the stuff that we put in our mouth is is our diet. You know, that's that's what we're we're consuming, and it's it's almost like um, putting somebody on a budget. Well, you're on a budget, you just don't know where it goes. That's and, so true. Yeah. To actually like tailor and 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 direct that in a planned and focused way, um, that's that's the thing. Sometimes people get put off by it, and that's what you know when we hear diet or budget. Yeah, you know, it basically means that we have a plan um, instead of uh, of willy nilly. Um, but if I talk to somebody about a diet, some people actually will um, embrace that and think, oh, that's great. I want some direction. I want some help. Uh, I'd like some good information that will be, you know, pertinent to what I have going on. And other people are like, um, <laughs> can I just get a pill for that? Yeah, isn't there a uh, pill? Yeah, can can you just give me something? And that I mean, I've literally had people ask, can, is there a pill I can take instead? I'm like, you know, you know, that's just uh, I can see I'm not going to be able to help you. But talk about that because, and Ron's mentioned it before. Even if the pill could give us and deliver the same chemicals, there's something better about. And Ron, you could jump in on this. There's something maybe that's healthier about it coming from a high fiber plant source, or 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 or, or at least the whole food, or whole food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. The whole food because. Well, well, today we want to talk a little bit about something called phytonutrients or phytochemicals. These are these are compounds. Usually, uh, some 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 are pigment related. They give the color to the foods that we eat, uh, and there are literally thousands and thousands of them. Uh, most we probably haven't. I say we like I'm some kind of a phytonutrient scientist, but <laughs> most probably haven't even been discovered. You know, so of the thousand we have identified. There may be five or ten or twenty times more than that, and so when you take a pill, it usually isolates certain of these known compounds and uh, combines them in various concentrations in pill form. But to think that somehow that's better than the whole food source, in my mind, is ridiculous. There's there, there's no way statistically or otherwise to account for all the potential interactions. Yeah, that's the word, huh? Yeah, and so yeah. And, and many, many studies have been done on supplements to show that that oftentimes they make things worse, but frequently they make things no better. Yeah. 
then they just pass through, right? They're they, just a pass through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the important concepts to to understand is like our gut and digestive system that you know the the hole that goes through our body is adapted for extracting nutrients and uh, calories from the environment and what we've done uh, you know the last couple of shows we've kind of uh, talked about some of the background for this we've started um, taking the things that we eat and breaking it into parts and then putting that into that system and it sends certain signals um, we're not sending the signals to that intestine tract that have been coming to it for thousands of years we're sending you know that's right ex- extracting just the carbohydrates yeah here comes the sugar yeah and dumping that and dumping that and dumping that and and we get addicted to that and it's it's something that we could talk about too but um the it's so we we've we've taken them into segments and and now we say oh you know if you eat a bunch of um like uh um uh lycopene or if you eat um uh, omega 3s or or you know you take a bunch of those and you'll get these certain benefits well the benefits are more if you actually eat the whole product that that thing came from like one of the articles that I really liked after talking with uh Ron was uh about that and and how there's actually more benefit from eating the food hmm. as opposed to the fractionated segments of the food that you can supplement yourself with and, and put into that system. And so, oh, that's interesting. Um, it's just yeah. not. I guess we just think, oh, but we want it efficient. Just give me the pill, not the food. But the food has the interactions. It has everything else that's going on with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I think gets missed and. Uh, uh, and and through advertising, if somebody is selling something, they just champion whatever product they have, and and the benefits that it has. And uh, I think we miss some of the concept that there, um, the the things that that nutrient or phytonutrient or uh, biologic compound is encapsulated with in the in the normal food actually will help augment its its benefit. And so. So so one of the things – we'll take a break, but I want to come back and have you guys teach us how do we do this? Like how do I get a family that's used to carbs and sugar um, to convert to wanting the plant-based diet and and the phytonutrients that you were talking about, um, Ron? So be thinking about that. We'll take a break, come back. What are some ways we can introduce more of the plant-based diet into our lives, into our systems in, in a whole food sort of way, trying to find the the health for all of us here. It's there. It's just you got to go looking for it, and you got to be willing to, to do it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More on your health when we return. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live a healthier life. And who better to do that than Dr. Ron Hager, who's with us. 
He is an associate professor of exercise sciences here at the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University, trying to uh, help us uh, take on or prevent chronic disease. Also joining us on the phone, Dr. Rob Adams from Demet, Texas. He's a family practitioner there and is uh, a compadre. With our good Ron. I so it's, say, uh, yeah, it's the I, Ron and Rob show. That's good. I like that. You guys are helping us combat. Um, you, you're helping us find a more functional food, functional life, functional health. Well, you know, Matt, food is a big deal when it comes to chronic disease prevention. There are multiple things that impact your risk of the common chronic diseases. Like, you know, we were talking about this giant sandwich and heart disease. Yeah. But heart disease is the number one killer. But there are others, stroke, cancer, diabetes, obesity, uh, and and other things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all of these kinds of things, and and as I said, there are multiple things that impact your risk. Uh, you know, but most of the impact comes from modifiable uh, choices that you can make. Yeah. So so things that you choose to do, and, and and while some might argue, I mean, I know I'm from the Department of Exercise Sciences, but I uh, believe that diet is probably the biggest factor. And I don't say that so that people can say, well, therefore I don't need to exercise right. or I don't need to stop smoking or, or whatever. Um, it, it, it really is kind of a, uh, a whole pattern that you try and develop uh, for your life. Uh, but if I had to say, you know, outside of smoking, what's the most important thing on a daily basis that a person can do? It's, it's take a look at their diet. You know, and Rob mentioned this concept of, you know, we're all on a diet. We're all on a budget. Right. It's either good or bad. Um, You're doing it anyway. Yeah, and and so this whole food thing, I think, is a is maybe the major key piece, and it's one of the things that has changed most dramatically over not just you know the years or decades, but the millennia. Uh, you know, if you go back far enough, I guess that's um, what we used to always eat. Yeah, in fact, yeah. you know, there are a lot of unacculturated societies still in existence, and many of those have been studied. You know, we're talking about. Uh, you know, populations of, of people in, uh, in in Mexico. We're talking about native populations like Indians uh, or in New Guinea or in rural China. Uh, people who have lived according to the same pattern uh, basically, you know, forever. And they don't have those, they don't no. have those chronic illnesses. No, they, they not only don't have the chronic illnesses, they don't even have the lead-ups, you know, like their cholesterol levels really? are... Uh, what what would what we would consider in America to be absurdly low? I mean, if a person is told they have a cholesterol of one eighty in the United States, you know, total cholesterol yeah. level, the doctor says, "Hey, you're doing great. Keep up the good work." Right. But you go to some of these other places in the world, and we're, we're talking about not just a, a few people; we're talking about a whole population, and total cholesterol averages are like uh, one ten, and you don't even see those numbers in yeah. the United States anymore. And it's is it. And again, that's where I guess you, Rob, that's your bread and butter. Every day people line up in your office to be treated for just probably a, a dietary issue many times. Yeah, a lot of times. And those those are the issues that uh, are uh, becoming more and more of a problem with uh, the society that we have. And, and just in our, our fragmenting food into separate little pouches and pigeonholes, it has, uh, I mean, we're sending signals to our body telling it to be fat. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're Store programmed. Up. Yeah, we're programmed to have these diseases if we eat the way that we eat, and that's that's one of the problems. So um, what, what do you say to them then? 
Rob, when they come into your office and we're going to put you on a diet and you sit them down, what would you tell them to immediately start to change to get a more plant-based diet, a more whole food plant-based diet? Um, it's it's a hard thing conceptually for people to wrap their head around. Um, and one of the reasons for that is it's hard to go to stores when 85, 90% of the things that you get in the store are not that. Right. Uh, they're, they're in a box or in a bag or in a plastic container. Um, those are usually good signals that that is not something that our body is designed to eat. Um, you know, I talked last time a little bit about the first thing I tell them is just don't drink a calorie. Like, That's right. Drink, drink, drink water. That's the first place to start. And then um, there is a, a packet of uh, like a little handout um, that I have started printing out and handing to people from this uh, functional medicine group. And uh, it's a phytonutrient spectrum comprehensive guide um and that is something that i'll hand to people and say like you know here's here's the deal like what our body is designed to do uh designed to eat and process is i mean we're made to go out in the backyard and pull something out of the ground or off of a tree (laughs) or hit it over the head right and and then put that whatever it was in our mouth. Yeah, now we're like, hey, don't put that down. We're telling our kids, don't stay out of the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, and so it's so. Tr- I remember eating rhubarb in my backyard, just sitting behind a tree eating rhubarb. And if my mom saw me eating rhubarb, ooh, heads would spin. So it's monster. By the way, th- this this packet, this comprehensive guide you're talking about, phytonutrient spectrum. We'll put a link on our website. It's yeah. it's a it's robust. It's how yeah. many pages? It's yeah, it's about thirty pages. It's a it's a PDF file. Uh, anybody can download it or access it and just look at it online. Uh, but it, it's a very simple way to kind of uh, consider a new pattern of eating uh, in your life, and it's uh, it's based on on colors. And as mm-hmm. I mentioned, many of these phytonutrients are the pigment producing cells in plants that actually uh, result yeah. in the color. Of the plant, so you know, uh, you know, tomatoes are red, pears are yellow, uh, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever. Uh, bell peppers are green. Uh, these are these colors are because of the phytonutrients. And this guide actually outlines, you know, what foods come from each of the colors. And it's not just fruits and vegetables. You get into kind of the white, brown, tan area. Uh-huh. You know, there's everything from jicama, which is pretty white, yeah. to uh, you know, maybe uh, the browns, which might include, you know, beans and nuts and seeds and things. So all of these things have phytonutrients. There's not a lot of phytonutrients in animal products, but in plant-based products, a lot of these phytonutrients, and some of them have been identified as being, you know, anti-proliferative. They do stop cancer cell spreading to be antioxidant. They do decrease inflammation and oxidative stress in the body, which yeah. can damage vessel walls and lead to heart disease. So these, so it's it's a nice guide to use, and it works kind of on a color wheel, you know. And so you're encouraged to eat, as Rob said, you know, last time, uh, you know, kind of eat the rainbow. Yeah. And, and you don't have to do this every day. It's not like you have to eat the rainbow every day. You could actually focus on a couple colors one day and a couple colors the next day. And and when I say plant based diet, I do want to clarify just one thing, Matt, because I've gotten in trouble for this. I say the word or the term plant based diet, oh, and everybody thinks oh, you're vegan. Yeah, you know, and I'm not. I, I, I if you want to eat some meat, that's fine. Uh, and it even discusses a little bit of that 
in this right. in this guide you know about the value of certain kinds of meats or the way certain kinds of meats are you know treated as they're raised before the animal goes to slaughter or whatever uh so we're not talking about something extreme here right. but let me ask you this question uh Matt how what do you think the average number of servings of fruits and vegetables per person is in the United States in other words that, that we actually have that we actually take in that we actually eat oh a day a day uh one well, you're close. Two to four. Oh, really? Yeah, you're supposed to have four. like eight, right? Or two ten. to four servings, and you ought to be getting probably about nine to oh, thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not even close. Yeah. And when you go to a buffet, just to know the color wheel idea, don't just go to the whites and the browns. Go to the whole spectrum. We've got about 30 seconds, Rob. What would you just say as a practitioner, as a family practice doc, uh, any other advice you'd give us when it comes to our diets before we sign off? Um, yeah, I think that eating a variety of colors is, is a big thing. Like, And that phytonutrient spectrum is helpful. Like, It has a good summary at the end of it. And so people, they might hear, you know, 30-something pages. Man, who's got time for that? Um, but it goes through six different steps yeah. for just maximizing combinations, um, know the sources that the phytonutrients come from, and be creative, like make substitutions. Um, and it's something you can be adventurous with, with your food and try new things. Like um, it's, this is one of the things that is helpful in incorporating slow carbohydrates into the diet mm. instead of low carbohydrates. People get all, oh, I don't eat carbohydrates. Da, da, da. Carbohydrates are a staple in a diet, but the ones that we eat now are too fast. They're the fast burners. Yeah, we're addicted to them. So, so. You know, it's great advice. Um, And we'll put that on our website, at Dr. Matt Show. You'll have a link to that phytonutrient spectrum comprehensive guide. And again, get to the last page. Wonderful summary there of of kind of how to move it forward. We appreciate you both, Ron and Rob. Thanks for for enlightening us. Thanks, Matt. We need this. Thanks, Rob. We really do. We need to be healthier. And yet, it's almost like you don't know what you don't have until you lose it. Let's not fall apart and then be wanting to to get healthier. Let's get healthier today. Use more colors in your diet, folks. And we're not talking Skittles. Come on. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> Going down to our two, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're the criminals or the bond experts. Our two good buddies, Spencer and Jeremy at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Dude, are you ready for Spectre? Spectre. Spectre. I am. Did you know that they crashed like $32 million worth of... We heard higher. Really? Yeah, we heard it was like $50 million or $60 million or something. Well, I have the data right here. I'll go find it for you while you're talking. $37 million Woo! worth of Aston Martins. That is a lot of car crashes. That reminds me of when uh, Spencer pulled in. Do you remember that one time when he had his eyes dilated and he couldn't park? That was funny. I remember that. That was awesome. It was a low <laughs> moment in my life. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up on radio. That, that and when we, were, uh, we weren't on TV yet, and so Spencer dressed up for Halloween as a cop. 
He was the hot cop. Was he? Day. Was he the hot cop? <laughs> Wasn't it funny that yeah? Every time he, every time somebody turned on music, he started dancing. That was hilarious. That's embarrassing. Hey Spence, where Aaron were you Evans, yesterday? We're hearing an echo in our ear, by the way. Are you? <laughs> we'll we'll uh, have our people get on that. Spence, you were you were av- uh, out of town, I guess, recovering no. from the weekend. No, here's the funny thing about uh, what happened at BYU Michigan. Like when I found out I was not making the road trip to the big house, yeah, I was like oh man, you were sad. Well, yeah, because it's it's one of the iconic venues in college football, and you want to go and you want to experience that, right? About 12 minutes into the game, I was like, man, I am <laughs> so glad I I'm going to go mow there. my lawn. I am happy to go home and be with my child and my wife and oh. wallow in my own self-pity. That's cute. <laughs> Did they just not have enough room on the bus or what was it? No, uh, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler went and they did a great job helping yeah. build the hype during Countdown to Kickoff. And, you know, it just it's one of those things. I got to go to the Rose Bowl, which was fantastic. Beautiful. Dave and Blaine were called to go to Michigan. And that you know that's that's how it works out. We can't all get to do everything we want to do. You know what? Totally true. Wait, what? Yeah. Except you're unless you're Jerem Jordan. Jerem gets to do whatever he wants. Yes. Yeah. Hey, um, I need to want more. Are you guys marathon runners? <laughs> no, I respect those that do because that is a mental amazing accomplishment, even more than physical. Something that I would want to do less. I oh, know. Have you ever just watched <laughs> them crossing the finish line? They look horrible. I mean, come on. But, well, here's the problem. It's getting so boring for this uh, Ohio runner in the Akron Marathon that he's actually going to skip rope 26.2 miles. Wow. Sounds dumb, doesn't Skipping. it? Skipping. does sound dumb. He's going to skip rope over the entire 26.2-mile course. Skipping rope like jump for rope? a marathon. Uh-huh. In 2008, he did it uh, juggling. And in 2010, he was wearing sandals. I mean, is, doesn't that, isn't that a sign you just need a new hobby? Yes. Yeah. He's he's going for a Guinness. He didn't get the memo. No. Yeah. There are so many questions for pe- like people like that, but really it just comes down to why. Yeah. I mean, I Hashtag just like this is why. Why? I, no, I that's the football team. Oh, oh. Players theme. I I I hate healthy people anyway. <laughs> what? I mean, are you with me? You hate healthy people? Yeah. Is that bad? Is there jealousy? What's the hate? Well, when I, was, when I was a child, my dad used to run marathons and he always took them away from us. <laughs> anyway, that was the awkward moment brought to you by the Matt Townsend. <laughs> I don't Show. You, Thank you. Thank you're you the for doctor. Going there. Thank we're you very much. We're Thank the you. sports doctors. You guys are the sports doctors. Hey, are you doing your show thingy today? Oh, Absolutely. Are we ever. What, what are we going to talk about? Are we talking about the next game with Connecticut yet or are we still back Not on yet. Michigan? Okay. But. Primarily, BYU Basketball Media Day is today. Dave Rose in the really? house, Kyle Collinsworth, the triple-double king, Chase Fisher, Man. one of the most consistent players I've ever seen at BYU. Wow. Jordan Chapman mm-hmm. will be in the studio. It's going to be fantastic. How come I didn't normally, like on football media day, they're all over the place. I don't. I didn't know today was even basketball media day. It's like they're hiding it from us. It is kind of a hidden gem. It's September 29th. They're going to begin practice soon. They uh, play exhibitions at the end of October. Regular season begins November 13th. That's cool. Against Utah Valley. It's around the corner. We're going to talk football as well, though. Okay. BYU 2-2. Two and two. So we'll sit here and discuss good, bad, okay, what is it? And what's left for BYU? Eight games left. What do you hope? Win expectation? Hope. Mm. This is exciting. Because remember, is it? Months, well, a month ago we were like, what if they're 0-4? 
Two in the two. summer, I called for two and two. I said two and two would be good. And you that was Taysom with Taysom Hill, Hill and, and Jamal, Jamal Williams. Williams. I know. Look at that. So you nailed it, that though. Gi- that gives you an idea of where I, I sit. Yeah, you're happy. A lot of injuries, too, to BYU. Hopefully they figure it out and uh, can get in the game Saturday. Or I think Friday. We need to play. Is Connecticut a smaller team? We need a team we can beat up on for a while. BYU should beat Connecticut. Connecticut has a good defense. They played Missouri to a 9-6 game, mm. top 25 in yard, uh, yards allowed per game, uh, points per game. They haven't played a strong schedule. BYU's played the toughest schedule in America. So that played into BYU being tired last Saturday, also getting hurt a yeah. little bit. So BYU's banged up emotionally, physically. Hopefully they can bring it Friday and then get on their winning ways and then three more at home, you know, four straight home games right now. Mm. Mm. Well, um, you're going to have a good show. I can tell already. And I think it's fun just to have Spencer back. It is. I think it's great that Spencer spent some time with his family. I mean, they were struggling. Well, that was Saturday. Yeah, yeah that, that it was, was an early game, Saturday. so we all did. Yesterday, I was hanging out at a golf course, man. Oh, yeah? How'd you do? <laughs> I didn't play. I just uh, emceed the BYU Cougar Golf Day. Oh, fun. And uh, had a great time. They, Johnny they, Miller. They took Bruce your clubs Summer away, Hayes, right? They, Summer Hayes. Oh, Zach wow. Miller. I mean, they there were so many iconic BYU golfers there all at the same time. They all paid it on their own dime to come back. Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I just sat around. <laughs> yeah. Like you always do. Just like I did every day. Just took a little nap in my office. Anyway. Well, guys, have a great show. Thanks, we will Matthew. Do that. We're excited kind of, I'm trying it. to do a little low energy today. I can tell. But are you feeling better, Matt? No, I have a chest cold. It's no big deal. Still? They say they say it's plantar in the chest. Plantar chestitis? Uh huh. Oh man. It's horrible. You have fascia in your chest too. Mm. Mine's my plantar chest fasciitis is swollen. Anyway, so I'm gonna go see the doc, whatever. But it's not tuberculosis. That we know. That's good. Have a good show, gentlemen. Thank Thank you. Thank you, sir. Remember who you are. Peace out, yo. Bye. I always try to throw in something really hip and cool at the very end. Peace out, yo. Did you hear that, Ben? Ben's not interested. Yeah, I heard it. Hey, Ben, uh, as you know, um, I I always like to enlighten the folks about um, some some pretty interesting human beings. Because if you think you have it bad, it could be worse. Watch next time that you're getting gas at a gas station. Because... There might be a guy next to you who has a spider on his gas, like, like gas opener. What do they call it? Like the little cap that you put on your gas tank. Well, this guy pulls out a lighter out of his pocket and uh, because there's a spider and he, he wanted to light the spider on fire. Well, lo and behold, the fire burst uh, from the man's gas tank. It spread to the nearby pump and bada boom, bada bing. Uh, Susan Adams, who was the, the store clerk, basically saw this guy running around and, um, you know, freaking out. They had to turn on the emergency pump, shut off system, called the fire department. The man pulled his vehicle out of the way, but he didn't run from the melee. He just caused uh, – instead he just jumped back into action, grabbed the fire extinguisher, put out the fire. Just put it out. And then the fire department came and asked him, so, dude, what were you doing? What on earth were you doing? Oh, I was just worried about static electricity. I think it was static electricity did that. And they watched the video and they found out that the dude had lit a fire. 
He's trying, and they're like, what were you doing with the lighter? What was that about? And he finally admitted that he was, you know, there was a spider, and he was trying to burn it. So, Ben, what have you learned? A magical lesson. What have you learned, Ben? To destroy spiders at all costs. Okay. That's all you learned? Yes. Um, okay. Not even close. That's not the lesson of today. Uh, the lesson today is don't light a match around your gas tank. Thank you. Um, for our uh, hero of the day, as you know, we always like to end with a hero story. And today, Chicago um, McDonald's employee Kenny Soriano Garcia is the Townsend's hero of the day. Destiny Carino posted a photo of two men at McDonald's in Union Station in Chicago on her Facebook page on September 16th. But it's the story behind the photo that now is making the news. Carino noticed an elderly man in a wheelchair waiting in line. And from what I perceive, the gentleman may have had a case of quadriplegia um, or some other ailment that, uh, that he didn't know about. He said, Carino... Uh, said Carino. The man politely tried to ask a cashier something, but it took a couple of tries before they finally understood what he was asking for. He said, help me, please. The cashier immediately shut down his register and went to sit with the man and began cutting his food for him and helping him eat. Carino praised Kenny Soriano Garcia and his act of kindness and said the cashier's willingness to help go above and beyond his responsibilities was the kindest and most humble thing I had ever seen. So first of all, thanks for Destiny Carino for noticing it. And especially thanks for Kenny Soriano Garcia for going out of your way to uh, find the good and to, and to serve the good in this person. Folks, everybody is a human being, right? We all have needs. And if we just pay more attention and see the need in the other and see the other as we are, as desperate as in need at times, Man, we could change the world just as great uh, McDonald's employee. They always get, you know, a lot of times they're the butt of the joke. Today, Kenny Soriano Garcia is the hero for stepping up, and he just represents the rest of us. This type of service is going on all over the country. We hope uh, you can see the good in others and can go out there and make a difference. Change people's lives. Take care of your family, folks. Love the ones you're with. And until tomorrow, we'll be back again tomorrow. Make it a great life. Till tomorrow.